Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. Hey, on this podcast, I had the opportunity to catch up with Josh Nas, a ham radio expert from Ham Radio Crash Course on YouTube and all his other social media handles. Josh is the subject matter expert in all things ham radio. And it was a cool, cool podcast because he breaks it down in layman's terms, which I need because it's ham radio. I I didn't even know where to start before this podcast. Like you listening to this for the first time, by the time you're done, if you sit down and listen to the entire two-hour podcast I did with him, you will have a great understanding of how to get into it, why you should, and how it relates to preparedness and survival. Before we kick off the podcast, I want to let you guys know this podcast is sponsored. We are sponsored by KillCliff.com. KillCliff supports the Navy SEAL Foundation, also supports us at Fieldcraft Survival. Look, no sugar, little calories, B vitamins, electrolytes, all the stuff you do need, getting rid of the stuff you don't. And uh, if you use the coupon code SURVIVAL10, SURVIVAL10, at checkout on KillCliff.com, you can save 10%. I'm a big fan of their CBD drink, their new CBD, especially that mango. Also, this podcast is brought to you by KC Highlights. Look, KC Highlights is a strategic partner with Phil Craft Survival. We're doing a whole bunch of events this year, including Overland Expo West, which is going to be in Flagstaff, Arizona, mid-May. Make sure you come out and see us at our booth and also see my Go Rig truck, the one that I used in the Go Rig Challenge at KC Highlights booth. Um, also, they are providing equipment for us to raffle off at our next Go Rigs and Coffee, which is March 14th, next week. March 14th. You can find out all the details at PhilCraftSurvival.com to sign up for that. If you use the coupon code PhilCraft, one word, on KCHighlights.com, KCHighlights.com, PhilCraft, one word, you can save 10% on checkout on any order. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Bravo Company Manufacturing. BCM, one of my favorite AR-15 manufacturers. We are dealers now for BCM. That's a uh, just a little pro tip. If you guys are interested in BCMs, just hit us up. Uh, we're not doing the FFL thing with the lowers. We're doing the uppers. But if you guys are interested, make sure you uh, hit us up because BCM, the ones that we use for military and law enforcement training, we use their 11.5 uppers. They're some of my favorite carbines and some of my favorite people in the world. Big shout out to John Chang at BCM and Black Powder Red Earth. Uh, you need to Google that if you're interested in it. Um, everything graphic novel-wise and counterterrorism, contractor realm, Covert Operations, really cool graphic novel, really good, cool people at BCM. Also, this podcast is brought to you by TriarchSystems.com, T-R-I-A-R-C Systems.com. If you use Philcraft on checkout, you can save 5% on any build. And I'm currently having a new Tri-11 built, uh, 9 mil, double-stacked uh, in this new camouflage, and I'll, I'll give you guys a, a preview of that on my social media handles, Mike.A.Glover and Philcraft Survival. Um, but I can't get enough of Triarch Systems, man. The custom pistols, custom carbines, custom rifles, custom everything, the best in the business in custom guns. Uh, big shout out to the guys, Chris and Jimmy and all the guys at TriarchSystems.com. Make sure you use that word Philcraft on checkout. Hey guys, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Look, ham radio and anything technical like this requires a long-form podcast, which is why I love the format. If you haven't checked out our YouTube videos, check them out at the Philcraft Survival Channel on YouTube, and you'll see more content about ham radio and everything in preparedness and everyday carry. Make sure you guys tune in, subscribe, and leave your feedback. 
We like comments. We like to hear what we need to do better and what we're doing right. Also, lastly, before we kick off the podcast, go on Facebook and make sure you subscribe or join our Facebook group called Prepped EDC, P-R-E-P-P-E-D-E-D-C. Uh, it's a free group. There's tons of engagement, and I want to see you guys interact and get pumped up about preparedness, including EDC, Everyday Carry. Uh, let's kick off the podcast, guys. I'm excited about this. Here we go. Josh, thanks for coming out here, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, when we started doing, uh, we started getting into ham radio, people were actually asking us about ham radio, everything. They referred your channel. Nice. And I, I actually used your channel before they... <laughs> Uh, people were hitting me up about it because I just YouTubed Ham Radio Basics, and you have Ham Radio Crash Course on YouTube, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, th- before we get into Ham Radio and the basics and, and talk about it, its application and survival, I want to hear your background of how you got into all this stuff in the first place because, I mean, you are into this stuff. Like, this is your life. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, this yeah. is what you do. Yeah, that's right, for sure. How did this journey start for you? So I, I grew up in Southern California. I lived there my whole life. Uh, I grew up in a town called Whittier. And in 1987, we had the Whittier Narrows earthquake. It was a 6.7 magnitude earthquake centered around Whittier. And so I was there for the whole thing. And we lost power. We lost gas uh, for like a week. Uh, a lot of people had it worse than we did, but... At that point, God, I don't know how old I was, six, seven, something like that. Yeah. But it was a real impactful moment for me. Mm. And I was just like, well, I got to be prepared just in general, right? So I'm, I'm very, very preparedness-minded to begin with. But one of the things that kind of fell into my bailiwick of just technical um, interest was radio and communications. So I, I was the type of kid that always had like a little radio tooling around with walkie-talkies, some kind of headset on, stuff like that. The, and The Radio Shack versions of them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just the over the counter stuff, you know, for a lot of stuff, for a lot of people, that's, that's good enough. Is that my phone or yours? That's probably, I think it's your phone. Okay. That's interesting. We're getting a phone interference on the podcast. That's a first from the radio guy. Something's going on right now. (laughs) It's all that radios (laughs) I brought. Uh, so I got in uh, shortly thereafter, I got into Boy Scouts too, right? Yeah. And I had one of the Scoutmasters had a handy talkie, ham radio handy talkie, and he was trying to explain it at a summer camp. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And then, you know, got a bit older, kind of forgot about it. Um, and in, then later, when I became an engineer, software engineer, uh, one of the persons that I worked with was like, hey, you, you, should, you should look into this again. And then that kind of got the ball rolling again for as far as like, oh, I need to get back into this because it, it goes right along with being prepared, right? Mm-hmm. You got to have the capability to communicate particularly when all your comms are down, right? So we're so dependent on the internet and, you know, your cell phone connection. Then when that's gone, what do you use? Mm-hmm. And amateur radio offers you the most options for getting communication back up and running. And so it just it, it just dialed right in with, you know, you got to have food. <laughs> if, if, the, if, you know, the shit goes down, you got to have food, you got to have water, you got to have first aid. You got to know how to use all that stuff well, you also have to have communications hmm. because, you know, if, if things go on for a while or you're a member of a community, somebody needs help, how are they going to get to you? Hmm. I always give the example of like, say you're, you're in a neighborhood and you know somebody has like an oxygen machine that they run, right? But they don't have a generator, right? Well, how do you call for help? 
Yeah. How would you reach out and say, hey, you know, does anybody have an extra generator or does they have gas, right? So, you know, you can use my generator, but, you know, I don't have a lot of gas, you know, kind of brings the community back together because you, you need uh, more people involved when there's a proper emergency. You're going to need the community to kind of step up around you. And if you can't coordinate that, it's going to be really difficult. Yeah, I, I feel like communications... I've always neglected comms because I never liked to be the comms guy. Sure. I'd rather be on the gun because the sure. comms guy. But I I always remember every major offensive or even I've been in instances where we try to use communications and it didn't work and it turned out to be a catastrophe. Like most operations in an extremist situation depend on comms. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have communication – to call the QRF, to call support, to call for the resupply, you're in a bad situation or circumstance in the first place. Yeah, you know, the good way to look at it is you don't have to be the expert, the comms guy, right? But there is a certain level of interoperability that you have to have. You got to have some level of proficiency so that you can work within the systems, right? Mm -hmm. So just talking, you know, simple handy talkies and stuff like that, right? There's a certain way you use those, you know, you don't hold down the PTT button for too long. You want to make your your contact as concise and short as possible, get that message across and and get off the button, right? So that you, you, you get you got everything out that you needed to, they understand what you need, and then they can reply back or who's ever leading what we call a net, right? A net would be a coordinator for bringing in information and responding back to like, okay, your message was received. We'll get to work on that. Or I'm going to throw it over to this person and they're going to help you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. What is, for for communications overall, mm-hmm. why ham? Like when I hear like the most, like we, we were doing some stuff with the Yavapai emergency services and they have like the Jeep posse and they intercommunicate and all of them have antennas on the rigs. And, you know, you know the standard walkie-talkie you get in Bass Pro Shop, and you can get right. that, and it's line of sight. Right. And then you have the ham radio. But why is ham so important in the things that we're talking about preparedness-wise? Yeah, so to break those down a little bit, your blister pack Walmart radios are what they call like FRS, Family Radio Service. And those radios are licensed by the FCC. They have to have an FCC number on them, and they're limited to a certain power output. And they're channelized, you know, they've got like one through however many channels. Are yeah. With, uh, with amateur radio, it's the operator that's licensed. We take a test, we get licensed, mm-hmm. and we do buy, you know, most of the radios you're looking at here, they're all FCC licensed. They are reviewed by the FCC for applying to their uh, requirements that are specific for amateur radio. So FRS has its own requirements. Ham radio, amateur radio has its own requirements. And the amateur radio requirements are you get more power output and you get um, disconnected from that channelized kind of concept. So we talk more on a frequency-based system. So uh, the common calling frequency for amateur radio on VHF is 146.520 megahertz. And that's the frequency that you'd like turn on your radio, say, hey, anybody out there? Or if you were following like an emergency preparedness protocol, like the wilderness protocol, for instance, that would be the frequency that you'd hop on to and, you know, monitor to make sure there wasn't anybody else out there that needed help or whatever. But if you consider how wide that frequency space is that were allocated, uh, we have thousands of options of where we 
quote unquote channels that we can talk on. So we can we can get off of the busy FRS channel. So you think about an emergency, right? Everybody pulls out their Walmart radio, they start squawking on the channels, they probably lack some level of radio discipline. And so you're in a world of hurt trying to get through that pileup versus with amateur radio, you're already dealing with people that have taken the test, likely, unless they're, you know, freebooting or freebanding. Um, but that gives you a certain level of, of skill or a certain level of people who know how it should work so that you can still have kind of effective communication. So what's the difference between in the frequency space, uh, like a CB radio where a yeah. truck driver is talking to another truck driver on mm-hmm. the road and, and the ham? CB is the civilian, right, civilian radio system. And that also is a uh, radio is tested and, and checked for following the FCC guidelines. The radios are the ones that are licensed versus the operator. Anybody oh, can operate okay. CB. But they're limited, I think, four or five watt output. They're also channelized. They operate on what's called 11 meters. So they're a little bit outside the line of sight VHF, UHF, handy talkie space, and they generally operate on AM amplitude modulation or single sideband. So those are those are fine. They, they, you, they use them for local comms. The Jeep guys, the Overland guys use CBs a lot. Yeah. Um, but those are going to be, again, difficult because you're going to be channelized, right? So if there's a lot of people jamming on the channel in an emergency, then it's it would probably be better if you got off of that and were on to uh, amateur radio, like something like HF or more specifically, probably VHF, UHF for your close-in comms. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think all radios have an application uh, for an emergency. I have CB radios, I have FRS radios, and I plan, if I ever needed to, to use them effectively. So I'm in no way saying, you know, you should only think about amateur radio. No, you're going to need, again, going back to interoperability, you're going to need to work with other people, and you're not really necessarily going to know what is going to be the preferred means of communication, but you're going to figure it out because that's where everybody's going to be, right? Mm. So that's the redundancy in it. And you, when you have, when you're a ham radio operator, can you tie into the CB channels and frequencies via your own radio? So if, if we're not in an emergency type situation, no, you're, you're not. The, the radios for amateur radio are supposed to work in the amateur radio frequency spaces. CB is supposed to stay in the frequency spaces for CB. FRS has their own frequency spaces. In an emergency, however, then kind of all bets are off. If you're saving life or, or property, then you can use an amateur radio on CB frequencies. At the same time, most amateur radios that you buy off the shelf do not come configured that way. You'd have to modify them. And there are a lot of hams who do that. They'll modify their handy talkies to work outside of frequency spaces that they're technically legally allowed to operate on. Yeah. But again, that that's another emergency preparedness thing, right? And there's again, there's there's nothing wrong with receiving frequencies that are outside your frequency band. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when you go to key up and transmit that mm. then you could be violating a law. But again, in an emergency, it doesn't matter. Okay. So the one of the things that just pops in my head about this is you mentioned a lot about the frequency bandwidths and that how they're allocated. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the allocation comes from the government. Right. And the, and the government is allocating frequencies and monitoring it. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in a disaster where... I don't know, the infrastructure of the government collapses. 
are you still dependent on some kind of regulation or some kind of, can they shut it down? Is it a system or a server or is it inner communication between people? Right. And so you don't have to, there is no, you know, mega system that could be shut down. That is a great clarification point that, that people need to understand. All of these systems are person to person, station to station, operator to operator. You are, and that's why it's so effective because you're going direct to the person that you're communicating with, whether it's amateur radio, FRS, or CB. You're transmitting, and whomever can pick it up and transmit back to you, that's who you're talking to. There's no, you know, AT&T in the middle. There's no infrastructure, and that's why it's so effective in an emergency. Now, during an emergency, yeah, there there is not really going to be some FCC monitor coming around investigating, hey, why are you transmitting, you know, why are you using your amateur radio to transmit on CB? At the same time, they wouldn't necessarily know, right, because unless they're going to come into your house and say, like, hey, that's not a ham radio or that's not a CB. Why are you doing that? So, yeah, no, it's... it's um. It would become the Wild West in some cases in an emergency, depending on the skill level of the people and the equipment that they have. Ah, okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, and that, yeah. And then when you so when you talk about frequencies, and uh, I'm kind of making this make sense myself. And you know, I it's funny because I bought the ham radio license book at mm-hmm. the local shop in Anaheim, and then um, I've kind of been not paying too close attention because I want to take this experience and learn through the process with everybody else because I feel like I'm going to generate a lot of questions that yeah. m- most people will have. When you communicate, like for CB to CB, for example, you're on a frequency, but because your line of sight and because you have like a bubble of capability or capacity, you don't hear everybody else's conversation. Is that why you're on the same freak as somebody else? traveling down the road in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. but just because you're in that line of sight within that power output is why you hear the person in front of you or next to you, right? That's right. And okay. and with you know a trucker, for instance, with a CB, you could be sitting at home with your CB station, you could have it on, and all of a sudden you'll hear this person drive and come in, and they'll be talking. You're like, hey, you know, have a contact or whatever. But then quickly they'll just fade off because they've driven away out of your kind of propagation space, uh, the ability that you can receive and the ability that you can transmit to them and hear them. So yeah, you can, you can quickly find yourself out of a, a contact line because they've, you know, they've stepped out, driven away, or are obstructed by something. You know, building, trees mm-hmm. can sometimes get in the way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's totally based off of getting that frequency, that, that RF to that individual and that they can receive it and then you could receive their response. Okay. Can, let's break down. Mm-hmm. I hear the term, and I know what it means because it's just a, in special operations, we use the term a lot via our own uh, embitter radios that we communicate internally. But explain what line of sight is. So mm-hmm. for a ham radio, um, there's certain amount of capability line of sight, but also over the horizon. Is that the alternative to it or, or relayed communications? Yeah. So let's just take it with, you know, if you start, if you're talking about VHF, UHF, those are generally called line of sight radios, meaning that they don't go over the horizon. They don't have the ability to kind of bend, if you will, bend the RF around the planet. And that's that's correlated to distance, right? Um, or is that... Well, no, because the VHF, UHF radios and the frequency that they transmit on, they will just punch right through the atmosphere. And that's what they use they to just keep going. satellites. They just keep going. Okay. They do dissipate, but... Yeah, there's some absorption, right? Absorption of you know uh, the ground, trees that can absorb RF. So line of sight generally gives you 
person-to-person comms that you could see, right? If you had the proper optics, you can see them. If you go far enough out, you can line of sight, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a you you could uh, you could fire a gun right with a lob if it had a, a drop factor, and you could go be over something, for example. Same kind of idea, but but you don't have that drop. It just goes at a straight line out of the radio. Mm-hmm. So the the vertical antenna we call those omnidirectionals because they just fire RF all around except vertical out the tip, right? But all that RF that flies out is just going on a straight line, and it's just going to keep going. It doesn't really reflect uh, off the atmosphere to get you those longer comms. If you wanted to get longer comms, then you'd have to slide down the frequency scale to what we would call HF or what people familiarly know as uh, shortwave. If you go down to the shortwave frequency... That's high high frequency? Lower frequency. So on uh, VHF, if we're talking about ham radio, you're talking about, you know, 144 and up megahertz, right? If you're talking about HF, that's going to be, you know, 50 megahertz and lower. Like when I did that contact to Japan this morning, that was on 7 megahertz. Wow. So the frequency is much wider and spread out. And what happens with that, with that RF coming out of your radio is it hits the atmosphere and bends back down. So you're getting this hop effect, and that's what gets you kind of around the curve of the Earth, if you will. Because the curve of the Earth is the mitig- like an omnidirectional antenna. It's just going out right. directionally. Mm-hmm. So then somebody else further away is not going to pick up that signal. Right. And depending on where they are at from an elevation standpoint. So... You know, if you've got a repeater in the area, repeaters are generally on mountaintops because that gets them a high vantage point and they can see further out. And so their omnidirectional or whatever antennas they have, they can see a greater space below them and that allows them to get picked up by more people and, and people transmitting to them because they can they can look at that mountain and go, oh yeah, that's where the repeater is and they can, you know, they can talk to it directly. Is there a repeater sucking up the signal and then pushing it out to amplify it? Uh, yeah, so it can. The the eight the HTs, HTs are handy talkies, you know, like your walkie-talkie type, like a Baofeng. They're transmitting at like five watts. When you transmit into a repeater, that repeater is taking that transmission, amplifying it, or not. Sometimes they don't, mm-hmm. but a lot of them do. Amplify it to 50, 100-watt output and push it back out over there omnidirectional. And they're putting it out on a different frequency so that you're not just talking right over yourself. So your uplink frequency is different from the receive frequency. Mm-hmm. So you're transmitting... It's going up to the, the repeater. The repeater's amplifying it and firing it off over a different frequency so that everybody can hear it. Now, I'm assuming uh, the repeater, or is it a relay? It's a relay system. It has to have power. Yeah. Okay, if, if the infrastructure collapses, then really you have to start getting creative with your own power because the power output of the signal is based on your location, correct? Or based on your transmission? It, it's it's both, really. Oh, yeah, so mean, the repeater uh, has yeah. its own power. Yep. And, you know, I was talking, I had a repeater owner uh, that's in Australia on my show, and he was talking about how, you know, they, they have, they plan for redundancy or they plan for alternative off-grid power solutions. A lot of repeater stations will run on solar. A lot of oh, them have yeah, I never thought generators. Okay. You know, solar's great because yeah. uh, ham radio basically runs off of 12 volts. So... You just pump it in with solar, pump it into a battery bank, and you can run for a really long time. So that repeater is only 12 volts of power? 
Or, uh, or I mean, it could only the be draw. the draw is. The draw into the repeater is 12 volts, but wow. it's outputting, you know, 100 watts. Of, yeah, yeah. Of RF radiation power, radiated okay. power. So th the advantage of that is, you know, you you could have a really nice battery bank and you can run for a really long time. If you live in Southern, because Southern California gets a lot of sun, solar's fine for us, particularly on the mountaintop. Uh, generators work too, so you can run off of gas or whatever. The only thing that generally happens when you're kind of off-grid like that is they'll generally dial the power back on the output of the radio to get the most effect of keeping the repeater online without, you know, taking it offline by uh, running out of power, right? By, okay. By running the heavy watt output. So if, if, if you're holding a handheld radio, it's just you, mm -hmm. how far are you able to get um, using relay, I'm assuming obviously it depends on what kind of base or relay system it is. Right. But like, could you communicate um, in California and get somebody across the United States as long as it's bouncing, or is that probably the other out of the realm of impossibility? Uh, that's, that's a very good question, and it's a question I get a lot. So let's start start real simple. Simplex is just when you're talking like handy talking to handy talking your buddy line of sight right well that's all line of sight when you get down to it yeah unless you get the internet involved which is we'll, we'll talk about that but you, you ht to ht it's as good as you can see that person right and if you're using a handy talkie that's five watts you're going to get a couple of miles that's about it at back home uh, i've got a repeater on on santiago peak and it's 50 miles line of sight from me but i can see that peak and i key up with that radio and i can hit that repeater mm. Now, repeaters can be node, internode connected type of thing or interconnected, and that those systems are pretty cool. They're, they're pretty sophisticated. You transmit into the repeater, and then that repeater can transmit to another repeater, and then another repeater and another repeater using RF. That, that is a thing, although not many repeaters are using that. What they'll use is internet interconnectivity. So they'll have a... So you talk to the repeater via RF, via your radio. The repeater will retransmit to that local sphere that it can, its propagation space, which, you know, could be uh, 100 miles in some cases. But it will also kind of retransmit that over the internet using relaying software. And then repeaters that are keyed into that relaying software, that node ID or whatever, will also then retransmit. Oh, so it would go through the internet, potentially into a different country, then yes. push it through the antenna that's in that country Correct. to other radios. Yeah. So like your last, you know, that, that the term last mile, right? Uh -huh. That last mile move is over RF, but they use the relaying through the internet to get that long haul from like California to Japan, which we have a network that actually is interconnected with Japan. But, you know, if you go back to survival, go back to emergency, if you've got a grid down situation... You don't have the internet, so you're you lose that interconnect unless you're going to interconnect via RF, which mm. a lot of repeaters aren't set up for it to go back to that. And if they were, then you're um you're you're talking about the power to drive that. You're still going to use up your batteries. You're still going to use up your your gas if you wanted to have that interconnectivity, which so a lot of times they don't. Mm. So if you're in if you're in North America, and let's say the worst case scenario is all the powers out in your state, mm -hmm. and you relay, you're hoping to find a relay system that you can't see potentially, because unless you have the internet or a, like a tracker of those relay stations, you're just calling in the blind, hoping that it, it hops. Um, 
Well, you 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 definitely probably wouldn't do it in the blind. In, mm-hmm. If you're in an emergency situation, Wait, what does the, in the blind mean? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> if you're just tuning around looking for a frequency and hoping yeah. to find something, and you're already in the emergency, yeah, you probably should have started preparing earlier, right? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, the internet is working right now, so there's no reason that you can't find local repeaters in your area. There's all kinds of websites mm-hmm. that you can look them up, and you can pre-program your radios, and you can try them out right before any of this stuff happens, or ideally talk on them, right? Get to know some people. When when an emergency happens, you're likely going to hop onto your local repeater that you that you know of that's either preparedness-minded or they have a net that you're active on. Um, and you're probably going to look on simplex, most likely 146.520 megahertz simplex. And I would just leave those those on. Is that an SOS frequency, or is that just a... It's an everything kind of frequency. It's but it's a call. emergency. No, not necessarily. It's a calling frequency, we call it. Uh. So you absolutely should hop on there if it's an emergency, and this is the only thing you have to your... To, what that's all you got or that's all the only thing that's working say your cell phone doesn't have coverage you hop onto 146.520 and you're like hey anybody copying me here's my call sign i need some help hopefully someone will come back right that's the idea that's the ideal situation but you know when it's not an emergency which it is not most of the time we use it to just hey see who's out there what's going on um occasionally people will kind of chit chat on there for a little while that's generally discouraged what happens is people come on there and they start chit-chatting, they'll slide off to another frequency. They'll say, hey, go up five. Go up five megahertz uh, or five kilohertz. So they'll do their initial comms check there, then they'll slide up. That's right. Yeah, okay. they'll they'll say, hey, anybody doing a radio check, you know, you're copying me. Somebody will come back and say, yeah, I hear you. And, and if they start, you know, going, you know, what we call a rag chew, which is just sitting there talking over radio, one of them will say, hey, let's slide off of here so we free up the, the calling channel because you want to keep it free. Mm. If you can, that's like the initiation of contact. Channel, that's right. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. That's a that's a good way of looking at it. So when when we're when we're looking at survival in the in the context that like we need to communicate with potentially the government or FEMA or emergency services or rescue services like search and rescue, and you're holding like your UV three R. Are you calling out to the pre-programmed channels for the emergency channels that you know, or is there a universal SOS channel to be able to uh, transmit on to let people know that you're in danger? It, it depends. If, you're, if there was like a hurricane, right? A hurricane watch net is something that's a real thing, and there's a predefined frequency for that, and generally people know that. And you have, um, there's emergency, radio emergency preparedness groups called RACES and ARIES. And those, you've, you've probably got one local in your area if you just Google ARIES or RACES. And they're a group of people that get together, they meet, they actually drill, kind of, if you will. Really? Yeah, for radio. They'll, they'll get together and they'll do mock um, scenarios or they'll support, you know, like a race where people like a foot race or even a car race or whatever, where it's long distance. They'll get together and they'll support that with radio comms because there's likely no, um, like there's a there's a race. It's called Baker to Vegas, and people foot foot race it right. Yeah, and they'll set up amateur radio stations because they have the infrastructure and the capability right. to do that. Yeah, because you don't have a lot of cell phone signal if you've ever been between Baker and Vegas. And they'll do all the comms that way. They'll, they'll say, hey, runner 55 just passed me. They're looking good or whatever. And they'll keep track of the runners on the race. Well, that's an emergency preparedness uh, drill if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it's a rehearsal, yeah. Exactly. So 
those frequencies that you would use in emergency situation are known by those groups. And that's that's local based on the relay stations and the people who hit those stations or this the radio is, operators. This is just radio to radio, right? Oh, okay. For that that scenario, the race, for example, Bacon yeah. Vegas. But those groups are the ones that know about it. So if you're interested in that, I would recommend you look into Aries and Racies because those groups actually do interface with the government. And of, it's based on your local community. So you could just Google Prescott, Arizona, Aries, Racies, and all right. that stuff. Right, and it's uh, Aries is Alpha Romeo Echo Sierra, okay. and Racies is Romeo Alpha, Racies, Charlie Echo Sierra. Awesome. And Racies, if you, if you type in Racies into Google, it's going to give you car racing. So make sure you, you <laughs> put in you know amateur radio Racies yeah. or something to, to make it think it's radio related. And I believe that one in particular is DHS. It's it's connected to the FEMA or DHS, RACES in particular. ARIES is based off of the um, the ARRL, yeah. which is kind of our – I jokingly refer to it as the NRA of, of radio, but mm-hmm. they don't really like that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the Amateur Radio Relay League, which is kind of our, our body that, if you will – connects works with the government for kind of protecting uh frequency access and and they put on events and contests and stuff like that because you guys i mean the aries and races guys are they are tied into the government because they own the frequencies i'm assuming they're licensed operators they have the frequencies that are committed to those groups and organizations and then they can communicate to the government to inform them yes and no it's kind of an interoperability thing so all hams have access to the same frequencies. Yeah. We, we have frequency slices in the RF space. And, and keep in mind, RF space goes from like power to light, right? That's where radio frequencies exist. There's a graph you can look up online. And the part that's radio frequencies kind of in the middle and, and going up towards, uh, towards light. And those slices are agreed to by the FCC and actually agreed to at the international level on where amateur radio use is. The, the groups like Aries and Racies, they pre-coordinate frequencies that they would use in an emergency in their local area. And most of it is kind of a um, non-enforced agreement. We're all generally pretty polite when it comes to radio. We, we try to follow the agreements we have at the local level. Mm-hmm. But the frequency space is kind of just a sandbox. We, we hop on there and we could technically use it, but you know some of it is informally um, just for doing low earth orbit satellite work. Mm. Some of it is just for local, you know, this emergency. Dedicated. Kind of, yeah. but, but not enforced, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's just Because you could step on that channel. You could, right? And in an emergency, you kind of would want them to, right? You say, hey, no, I need some help. Yeah, you're on the wrong frequency. Well, I'm dying. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't yeah. You know, help me out. So yeah. it doesn't really matter. We, we try to follow that, though, because it makes things run a lot easier. Yeah. So... It's usually all pre-coordinated. So if you want to know that, the best thing you can do is contact your local races and Aries. Or, you know, there, there's other groups, too, that are not connected to them that are uh, Arden's one of them. Uh, there's another big one. There's a couple of them. It's escaping me right now. But there are groups of people that get together, and they, they try to do these scenarios where they're trying to kind of keep up to date on how to effectively use radio in an emergency. Well, wow, that's super interesting. So, yeah. And it's basically any town and city in America, you're going to find groups of radio ham operators? You could. In some cases, you may have to drive a little bit. I think it mm-hmm. depends on your community and, and the makeup of, you know, how preparedness-minded they are 
or having actually been through disasters, you generally find that there's a community of people or multiples of communities of people that that are more engaged. In yeah, that. Oklahoma tornadoes, East Coast hurricanes, That's West right. Coast earthquakes. You got it. Or fires. West Coast yeah, fire. Huge. There's a lot Oof. of emergency preparedness around fires. Yeah, Paradise Fire was insane, man. That's, yeah, that whole situation's insane. Um, okay, let's start that. Let's let's kick this off because I'm a I'm a person literally who has no experience with ham radios and I want to get into it. And this is the most frequently asked question that we get, mm -hmm. hence why you're here, because this is something and and I this is what I want to make clear to everybody. We are not I'm never gonna pretend I'm the subject matter expert of everything. Right. <laughs> sure. So but when you deal with something so specific like communications on a special forces detachment, we have an 18 Echo who's a communications sergeant whose only job is communications because it's so important. I mean, my job was weapons and tactics as an 18 Bravo. And so when we looked at subject matter experts, you're the guy. And so I'm somebody who has no experience. The listeners who have no experience want to get into it. Mm -hmm. What is the start point? And then walk me through the journey of what I need to do in order to to get into this. Yeah, I think the question comes up so often because it's it's not necessarily an easy question to answer. Mm. And I'll try and break depending it down on what you're bit. what you want. I right? mean, depending yeah. on what you want, where you live, all of that's going to be affected by how active the local community is, right? So if you're looking at this from you're just you just want to learn more about amateur radio and get involved in amateur radio. The good news is that YouTube has made that really easy. Yeah. There are so many really good YouTube videos out there on on amateur radio. I have my channel, and uh, that's that's a crash ham radio, ham crash, radio course. crash course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to give myself a little plug there. Thank you. No, no, please, <laughs> but, and I but, subscribe to it. That's the one channel that I stay tuned into. Yeah, thank you by the way. But yeah. the reason I mention it, and it's not just me. There's a ton out there. But the reason I mention it is that requires no money out of pocket. Mm -hmm. You can you can look at this and go like, ah, I find this interesting. I'll, I'll throw some money at it. What's changed with amateur radio in the last decade or so is the is the Baofeng. The, the cheap Chinese radios have just flooded in. When my first radio was a, a Yaesu FT60, and I paid like 250 bucks for it. If you don't know you're going to like the hobby, dropping $250 is kind of a crapshoot, right? Baofengs are 25 bucks. So you can pick up... That's why, there's, that's why they're everywhere, right? Hashtag Fangang and all that. Uh, so what, what happened? You can go pick one up. Just don't transmit if you don't have your license. That's what I tell people. Don't transmit. And that'll allow you to kind of get the idea because it, you know, it's gonna give you that frequency display. It's gonna you're gonna be able to scan. And you'll sit there, you know, go outside. Please do go outside because the antenna's not fantastic on the Baofeng. And that, that model's the one that you recommended for me, right? Uh, the BFF eight HP or yeah. the UV UV five R. Yeah, the five R, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, five like twenty five bucks, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. I bought four of them. Right. There you go. So <laughs> you go outside with that thing and you start scanning, right? And that's just going to slide through the frequencies. And if it hears someone out there or something like digital, uh, digital data could be out there or voice data, it'll stop and you can hear it. And so you're, you're sliding up and down the band like you do with your old, you know, if you're old enough and you had a shortwave radio or an AM, FM radio, and you, you're, instead of spinning the big dial, the HT is kind of doing it by pushing the up arrow and holding it down and it starts scanning. So that's that's basically the start of it right there is just understand, hey, these are people transmitting. Listen a lot. That's what I always tell people. You got to listen to it. You got to hear how they're having their discussion and and understand what they're doing, what information they're conveying. Often it's just, you know, two people just going back and forth talking about whatever. If, if that interests you, then 
ideally you'd, you'd look to get your license and, and you know it's the technician license is the first kind of step on getting into it it's very easy it's a multiple choice test that they now offer everywhere if you go on the uh, if you just google a double r a r r l uh, find a test or find a testing location you can just type in your zip code and it'll find one for you so it's pretty easy to find one and it's uh, 35 questions and you got to pass with i think a 74 percent so definitely not difficult to do and most of it for the first level is just make sure you don't hurt somebody make sure you're following the fcc rules and then there's some practical aspect of using the radio but you'll you'll pick up a lot just from doing that uh, I have a series of videos that I posted on getting it where I walk through the questions and kind of explain it. That's, a, that's for people that, that learn by watching videos. There are books. You picked up the book. There's mm-hmm. a couple of them I recommend. There's a guy named Gordon West. He makes one. The ARRL makes one, which is really good. And then there are online sources like hamstudy.org, which uh, not affiliated with me, but I like what they do. I like the work they do, so I recommend them. And then you can take practice tests. So you don't even have to go um, just, you know, hope you get it right and go down to the testing locations. You can practice beforehand. So you get really confident, and you'll start to, to learn what, is it, what it's, these questions are about. You'll start to figure it out. The books are really good at that because they'll kind of go into some detail and explain, well, this is the question, but and here are the answers. But this is why we're asking, right? This is, you know, we want to make sure that you're not putting out too much power and potentially hurting people. Because RF can hurt you, right? At, an, at enough power output, you can get like a topical burn from RF. Uh, so that's that's getting that's just scratching the surface of getting started. And that's like a week, right? You, you don't take long to... I, some people take longer to take the test. You know, technician, I feel like if you studied really consistently for about a week, two weeks, you, you should be good. Mm-hmm. A month is about average, I would assume, and depending on where your testing location is. And so that'll generally give you access to analog and digital voice on VHF and UHF radios. So handy talkies, what we call mobile radios, which are you know the same size as CB radios that you'd put in a car. Those are 50 watt output. Those are you know the, that's the place you'd want to be if you're a technician. You get a bit more power output. You get more power for longer comms kind of thing. Uh, that would be the starting point of, of scratching the surface. Line of sight communication. The technician license does allow some access to HF, the high frequency space, where you get the longer kind of over the horizon comms. But that has limitations to basically uh, the 10 meter band, which is very similar to CB, but you get more power output. And then you get access to some of the lower HF bands, but that's uh, Morse code or what we call CW or continuous wave only. So not a lot of technicians are, are dabbling in that space because most people that are starting out don't go straight to Morse code, mm. which we still use. We still use a lot. Yeah. So when you, when you get the technician license, you can communicate with people on... The one, what was the channel that you said? 146.520. Yeah. Yeah, so when you when you get your technician, it opens up all privileges on the 2-meter and the 70-centimeter bands. You get full access to that. Yeah. You, you, can, you, you can use it. I mean, again, try to follow the agreed-to um, frequency allocations. But generally, you, the space is yours. So if you and a buddy are out overlanding, yeah. you can communicate 
to each other on mm-hmm. that as long as you're both ham radio operators. That's right. And when you get a ham radio technician's license, you get a call sign. I noticed that the people have... Yes. Okay, that's issued to you by the FCC? You got it, yeah. Okay. And and you do need to use that. You need to use that every couple of minutes as you're going through the contact because you, your FCC license, just like a radio, like a like a business, like a professional radio station, oh, wow. it's the same kind of system, right? You got to give your call sign so that people know who you are, right? That you're out on the air and you're transmitting. If you're overlanding, this is a good example. So if you're overlanding, your 146.520, leave that on. Um, most radios will let you do two channels that yeah. it monitors. So leave that on one of the channels just in case someone that is not in your party needs help, right? But then have a second channel that you've already pre-coordinated with your buddy and have that on a frequency that you guys can communicate on. So that way you're off of the standard frequencies. You're a bit on your own. Yeah, maybe have your truck because it puts more power out, have it on the 146 and then have your handheld local line of sight yeah that's fine usually the mobile radios like that go in your truck yeah those also are dual channel like oh, I, okay. I think you said you got the ftm 400 yep. that's a, an actual dual receive uh capable radio so you can receive both channels simultaneously which is pretty cool but yeah so you could leave one on the simplex which we call two meter simplex frequency and then you can have the other on your whatever frequency that you coordinated with your buddy Oh, that's really cool. Or your group, right? You, yeah. you can have everybody on the group in, in, in on the same frequency. Why not? What's Once you get your, your license, how long is that good for? And then how often do you have to retest? And what's the cost for doing something like that? So I'll do the last question first. What's yeah. the cost? It's it's There's no cost really associated with getting your license. But the groups that provide the testing, they often will charge like an administration fee, which is Ten dollars, fifteen dollars, yeah, and just to keep the group so they don't have to buy paper because you can't take whatever. it online. You actually no. have to go to a place. Do you hand. do? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they call them volunteer examiners. They're the ones who administer the test, and they you know follow the guidelines for how to appropriately give the test. Every one of the tests I've taken has been fantastic. Everybody's obviously the people doing it are very passionate about radio. Yeah, so they're just glad you're coming in, right? So um, they can't give the answers, but you know they're. They're, they're great. So that's, to get started, $10, $15. And your license is good for 10 years at that point. Oh, wow. And you don't have to retest. All you have to do is go on the FCC website and just make sure you're updating it. That's okay. it. Now, if you upgrade your license, so if you go from a technician to a general, it restarts that counter again. Okay. So Now, you, what's the differences between the... Ah, great. Yeah. So technician is the first level, and that kind of. And by the way, there's a, maybe we'll put it in the show notes or however you do it. But there's a uh, an image that shows you the band allocations, and it tells you technicians have access to this, and mm. generals have access to this, and extras have access to this. So if you think about it like a provisional license, you know, there's some system where you you start out with not a lot of privileges. And then you get the next level of license and you get more privileges and more privileges and, and on you go. Technician is the first level. That gives you access basically to all of the line of sight, high frequency communication bands. Again, two meters and 70 centimeters. When you step into general, that opens up the HF door, which is the high frequency. Now, the, the nomenclatures can be a bit weird. High frequency, I said VHF, that's very high frequency, and UHF is like ultra high frequency, or yeah, I think that's right. And so HF is technically a lower frequency, but the advantage of HF is when you transmit your RF, your radiated RF bounces off of the ionosphere. And again, that gets you that 
longer comms as it bends yeah. over the It's like the hitting globe. the ceiling and then coming back exactly. to the floor. Versus VHF, UHF just punches right through the ceiling and keeps uh -huh. going. So with that access, that's when you can hop into different bands depending on the day-night cycle. So this is going to get a little technical. Yeah. But when it's daytime, the higher frequency bands are a bit better. And when it's nighttime, the lower bands are better. So we slide up and down the bands uh, in any given day. And you mean lower bands like 5 megahertz, 7 megahertz? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so this is kind of, so 70, I'm sorry, 40 meters was the band I was operating this morning. And that's 7 megahertz. So that's a just general, more effective at nighttime band, but kind of works during the day Yeah. for HF. And my contact this morning was to Japan. Yeah, tell us about that. So how does that how does that work? You wake up and you're like, let me do a combo ch shot out mm -hmm. of the window with a handheld. I, no, no, not a handheld. It's this guy right in front of you, this yeah. little guy. I mean, uh, basically, you hold in your hand. Well, <laughs> okay, yes. The, the radio, and I'll, I'll throw some jargon out here. It's called a QRP radio. Mm. Uh, Q is, QRP is a Q code. Uh, hams use a term called Q codes. QRP means low-powered. So that radio puts out 5 to 10 watts of output power. So the same as a Baofeng, basically, 5 watts. A little bit more, though, because you can, you can amp it up a bit. But the frequency I'm operating on, because it's 40 meters, means that my antenna is some length of that. So I'm using a vertical antenna. So it's one quarter wavelength of 40 meters. So that's how much wire you've got to put up. Yeah. One quarter of 40 you hang meters. in your hotel? No, I can show you. It's a vertical. Oh, it's a vertical It's antenna. a vertical yeah. antenna. Um, but it's a, it uses a coil of wire to, to physically elongate the antenna. So it yeah. looks short, but, you know, there's a there's a big old honking, like, coil in the middle. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, so I got up in the morning, and I was like, I just want to see. Because you know, normally hotels are horrible. They've got so much RFI, radio frequency interference, that just whites out the radio. But I got the antenna close enough to the window that I was able to kind of get it out of the way. And I'm just scanning around, and I hear this, what we call a J call. So my call sign is uh, Kilo India 6 November Alpha Zulu. K calls are generally United States. He has a J call. He was a JA6 or JA5 or something like that. Um, so you automatically know a J call, that's Japan. So I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. So I, I didn't think he could hear me. I was actually making a video on something else this morning. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, what the heck? So I keyed up and, and I'm talking and I give my call and he doesn't hear me. And I even said it on the video. I'm like, he's not going to hear me. And I, I tried, I, I moved the antenna a little bit and he was calling, because he was calling over and over again. He's calling CQ. And CQ is kind of the shortened version. It's just the two characters, C and a Q, for I seek you or I seek all callers. And so he's calling over and over again. And I'm like, man, this guy's having a hard time. I'm going to try it again. What the <laughs> hell? So I tried it again, and he comes back with uh, Kilo India 6 November Alpha Station again, meaning he got most of my call sign. I'm transmitting on 10 watts, and I'm like, oh, man, that's just pretty crazy. So I, I gave him the Zulu, Zulu, Zulu again, and he got it. And it was tough. He had to work yeah. really hard to work me, not the other way around. I heard him booming in. So he's most likely, I'm just guessing, he's got an antenna. He's not using an Omni. He's using an antenna that focuses the RF, what we call a Yagi or a directional, directional antenna. antenna yeah. And he's probably on an amp, so he's probably putting out 1,500 watts or something like that, just blowing it into the, into the United States. And so my little dinky 10 watts on an omnidirectional, he's, he's you know probably bending over, grabbing his ear cans and listening, trying to pull out my call sign. 
and I'm hearing him no problem. So he finally gets in, and I'm like, man, that's that's pretty awesome. And that was all in voice, and voice is actually probably one of the least efficient ways we transmit Versus information. data. Or, right. Yeah. yeah, when you get into HF, one of the things that's really popular right now is data. We, we um, transmit uh, all kinds of text or whatever images over data using HF radio. So we can go, you know, across the country, other countries really yeah. easily. It's just ones and zeros, and it's a data packet, and, and then it receives there, it. There is data packets. There's all kinds of different kinds, right? There, there's a lot of different kinds. But what's great about data modes is because it's going into your computer, right? We, we're feeding the RF into your computer. The computer's ears are a lot better than the human's ears. And so it can actually pick out these these data blips, whether it's frequency modulated data or whatever. It can pick it out way into the noise. There's a data mode we use that's just simple contact mode called FT8, and it uses software called WSJTX. And it can pull data out negative 24 dB in the noise floor, which humans can't hear that. It, it's wow. just gone. It's nothing. And it'll pull it out. And so you can make these really cool contacts, you know. Siberia. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> wild, crazy stuff. A Antarctica. And it's all done with digital handshaking kind of back and forth. So, so what is the dude in Japan doing? I mean... Well, that was just voice. We were just I mean, what is he, into a mic. What is he literally doing? Is it... Is it, it put me in the head of a, uh, a radio operator. He oh. sits down and he's like, I'm going to see if I can just communicate with the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then is is part of the allure for him making comms? Yeah. And then he he logs it? Like, what's the... Well, there's a couple of things going on. So the first, your first question, yeah, people just want to log contacts. They just want to say, yeah, I worked in the United States. I, I got a, you know, a contact from this guy. And you see their call sign, right? And there's a Facebook for, for ham radio, I call it. Oh. It's uh, qrz.com, qrz.com. And it, you type in a call sign and you'll get like a Facebook page almost that gives you details on that operator. A lot of the software we use, we type in a call sign, we hit enter, and we'll get like their bio. Like it'll pop up and oh, auto wow. can auto fill a log. And the log, you know, so we'll complete the QSO. Usually it's a handshake. We'll say like we use a numbering system for how strong they're coming in to to the receiving station. And we use that to like say, oh, I wasn't I was a five nine into California from Japan. A five nine is like very audible. Uh, one out of five, so a five is very audible, and then a nine is um, the meter on your radio kind of tops out at nine, and then it goes into different increments. So if you're a five nine, that's a really strong station, and so people love that. They love like tweaking their station to get the highest power output, and they just like building up these contacts. And going back to before the internet, we used to send postcards out that had the contact details. So I would oh, wow. send a postcard to this guy in Japan, and that's his record that the contact was successful. Oh wow! So people still collect those too. Yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah. So it's like you're you're the more you can collect, it's mm -hmm. just the the better operator yeah. you're perceived. Yeah, and there's there's rare there's super rare stations that people want to collect. Antarctica, I'm assuming. Is one well, of yeah. Them. So the the uh, there was just they call them de expeditions. It's a big thing that that people will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to hop on a boat with radio equipment, go to these remote islands and activate them. So oh. we just they just wrapped one up to the South Orkneys, which is in the Atlantic Ocean by Antarctica, I believe. And I made a contact with them. So I was like, oh, hey, it's pretty cool. There's, and so that people pay money. Like I will, I will donate money to this group 
for for having the the balls to go down. What and do an these. adventure! That's really oh awesome. yeah, it's it's that's a really cool aspect of of ham radios. These guys are doing these crazy outdoor kind of expeditions just to go play radio on a on a frozen tundra. <laughs> yeah, to 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 work these people because people really want. They want contacts from like little every archipelago that they could get on in every continent. There's there's all these awards you can unlock in ham radio, like worked all states. If I get a contact in every state, I get the worked all states award. There's a uh, DXCC, which is DX is um, long distance or the different country of than you're in. There's a, an award for that, collecting all those. And so that's why people do that for Japan, talking to the United States. He was probably looking for those DX cons contacts. What's more is this weekend that we're recording is actually a DX contest. So there's all the countries around us are all trying to make contacts with other countries. Yeah. And they get scored based off of how many contacts they get. As an individual operator or it, as a group? We, there's Yes, there's classes oh, for, okay. uh, for all of it. Wow. There's classes for single operator high power. So single operator, 1,500 watts. There's single operator low watt, which is like 100 watts. And then there's single operator QRP, which is 5 or 10 watts and below, right? And those are all different, cla- like race car classes, right? It, yeah. It's just the different classes. And then there's group, right? Group Groups are great because they just run 24-7. Guy gets tired, he taps out, somebody hops in, and they just keep rolling. Or they work multiple bands and stuff like that. What's a what's a club? Like if somebody's getting into this, what's the recommended club that has the best there's not, reputation? Uh well, so the ARRL is like the is the supportive body, the supportive entity for ham radio. And they I think it's like forty five dollars a year and they've got a magazine, they've got a couple of magazines and they do different they do all kinds of stuff. And you're a member of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I do recommend it for okay. people for that are new. In particular, they just started a new magazine called On the Air, mm-hmm. which is Actually, it's focused on helping people get started, and they've yeah. been doing a really good job at that. I think they're, I think they're doing the right thing. But so clubs are, clubs are different. Clubs are is as good as the local community is good. In Southern California, we've got clubs all over the place. Uh, Prescott, there's probably there's got to mm. be one. And yeah. Depending on where you're at, too, it's going to have a different like vibe. In California, they do a little bit of everything. Prescott, it's probably, or is it, yeah, they Prepping probably, and, yeah. exactly, a little yeah. bit more preparedness-minded, yeah, yeah, and so it's gonna, it's gonna echo your community. There are some people that have clubs that are, they don't do much, you know, so again, it's, it's totally the community, and a lot of that has to do with amateur radio kind of being more of an older person's hobby. Yeah. So there, there's just a lot of people who just want to sit in their ham shack and just talk on HF right? Like that guy in Japan, but just sitting on his frequency, chatting with his buddies. We call that rag chewing. And they'll just sit there and they'll just talk all day, pretty much. And then they go to the club meeting and then they kind of just talk about what radio they bought or whatever. And that's kind of what they're into. Radio is such a huge hobby that if the club is into that, that's okay. Just, you know, enjoy it for what it is. But you can still find a club that's into overlanding or prepping or summits on the air or whatever aspect of it you're interested in. But it, it can be hit or miss hmm. for the local clubs. But there are online communities that support all of that. So it's not a big deal if you can't find like a, a brick and mortar club, if you will. Okay. And I'm assuming the 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 big club 
the A R R L. That's a dot com. A R A R dot org. Dot org. Okay. Yeah. And you got. I'm going to join that right after this. Yeah, and it, and it's it's not a club. They affiliate with clubs though, so they yeah. have like a directory. Again, you can go on. You can go to find your club on the ARRL site, and you can type in your zip code, and it'll it'll give you a list of affiliated clubs with the ARRL, which okay. is nice because that'll help you find some. But by no means, I, I recommend people if you find a club, and you go to a club meeting, and you don't like it, that's okay. Ham. It's they're not ham radio. They're just one tiny aspect of it. Yeah. So don't get discouraged. Look for another club. And if you don't find a club, that's okay too. It just maybe your area is not that great for clubs. Hop on Facebook. Join one of the groups on Facebook. Hop on. I've got a Discord, which you know that's really for younger people, um, and it's all about different aspects of amateur radio. What's so, that? What's a Discord? What? It's it's like remember IRC? Did you ever use IRC? Yeah, back yeah. In the day? It's like IRC, but like today. So uh, it's got a chat room aspect of it, and there's a voice component. Is that what you're doing when you're talking and then it's scrolling all the stuff next to you in the split window? That that gets uh, merged in. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I merge uh, Twitch, Discord, and YouTube comments. They all get merged together in that that. Oh, that's really cool. Above me, yeah. And that's live, right? Yeah, that's live. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, as, as live as it can be. Yeah. There's a bit of a delay, but yeah. So do you have your own club? No, so we don't have a club. I'd call it an online community. Yeah. Um, I could, I guess I could make a club. Maybe I should do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, our Facebook community is like, we just passed 6,000 something people. Our Discord community is like 5,000 people. So it's still a small group of kind of interconnected. Is it Crash? People. Ham Radio Crash Course. Yeah, that's I where you get can, that backwards. Yeah, thing. no. Ham, Ham Radio, Radio Crash, Crash Course. Course. If you find any of the YouTube videos, the links are in the description. So you can awesome. join any of the stuff there. Yeah. Uh, so it does link you to Facebook and then you can interact, ask questions, and do all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're like me. You probably get a lot of people that don't like Facebook, yeah. don't trust it. Yeah. I yeah, understand. Yeah. Ton, ton. I understand. So it's okay. If you don't like to do Facebook, that's fine. Discord is a lot better for yeah. security than Facebook is. So maybe give Discord a shot. And What's your following on Discord compared to Facebook? As it's far as close the, to the same. So everybody on Facebook, because I do a, a prepped EDC uh, mm-hmm. uh, page, and it's got a, a crap ton of, um, it, not a lot of people, it's like 3,000 people, but it's a crap ton of engagement. Like mm-hmm. Every day people are super active on that thing. And everybody's like, you need to go to Discord because I don't screw Facebook. And I'm like, okay, we'll do that. Oh, but yeah. I, I, need to, I need to do that. You already got the community asking for it? Yeah, yeah you they're should already definitely asking for get, it. So Discord's great. Because, so Facebook kind of feels so slow to me. Yeah. You make a post and people bop, 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 comment back and forth. Discord is a chat room. Yeah. So it's live. It's it's happening. Oh. And if they if they don't, if that's not fast enough, you can hop on the voice chat. And so oh, wow. after my live stream, my after chat is on Discord. Oh, and my so gosh. there's, I didn't realize to, that. Well, we've got the highest we've ever had is like seventy people on at one time. Yeah, it's just bedlam. Yeah, just, <laughs> everybody's just, trying to talk at the same time. Yeah, so we we have implemented a, a PTT, a PTT. Yeah, so you got to hold down a button to talk. Yeah, because people will hop in there with a hot mic and they'll just be, hey. Get the hot pockets out of the oven, you know, just like all kinds of craziness going on. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, I mean it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So Discord, YouTube, Facebook, those yeah, are the main yeah. Ones. Uh, and Instagram, yeah, and Instagram and Twitter, I guess. If you yeah. if you go Ham Radio Crash Course, you can pretty much find me wherever. All over the all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about survival as it pertains to ham radio and preparedness as it pertains to ham radio, because I so one of the things is like when I look at everyday carry, I look at things, for example, 
that maybe I'm not going to utilize, like a flashlight, right? Flashlight, I'm going to use more as utility. I'm going to look under my car. I'm going to look under my hood, Mm -hmm. looking for something I dropped. Mm -hmm. But more than likely, I'm not going to use it in a gunfight. But I have it there for the worst case scenario, potentially. Um, But that doesn't mean I don't have to carry it. And so when I look at the the radio, especially the one that you recommended, which is the UV5R, right? To get started, yeah. yeah. the 5R. I, I would, that's just the gateway drug. Yeah. If, if you were going to get hooked on it, if you found that interesting, I wouldn't stay with Baofengs necessarily. I'd yeah. start looking out. In fact, that's, I mean, the radio that I use is this guy right here, the uh, Yesu FT2DR. So this is your everyday carry? That is my everyday carry radio. Okay, sure. so I'm going to get this. I'm going to buy this today. Well, they have a new model now. Yeah. Um, that just, the new model came out at the end of last year. So that's a fully loaded radio. Uh, it's GPS enabled, and it'll actually squawk out packet data. Wow! So and you can so do text from this. You can do text, and there are gateways, internet connection gateways, that will take your text, email it, send it to your wife with SMS, tweet it. I can tw- I can tweet from my HT wow. when on a mountaintop with no cell phone connection. Fire off an RF packet. It gets picked up by another RF station, gets turned in, connected to the internet, and, and posted to Twitter. <laughs> Wait, so is this, once you have the ham radio license and you're able to do that, yeah. is this more economical than the emergency radios that you get at REI, like the... Oh, is, yeah. Well, I mean... Because oh, you pay a Explain a monthly, economical. Well, because <laughs> you, you, you pay a monthly fee for most of oh, those. Oh, like the, in, the, the in, Garmin InReach? InReach, that's okay. right. So that's a little dongle guy, right? Yeah, and yeah. And it has satellite capability? Yep, and you have the ability to text or SMS an emergency. So this is going to be able to do more. The, yep. the ham radio can you can get more done. Like you can talk with it, you can send the messages. Um, it'll automatically. And there's no fee. I'm assuming there's, there's no, no monthly. Fee. There's no fee. once you get your license. You get it. You're good. the The difference though, awesome. the difference though is the Garmin is using satellite. Yeah. Which is going to be more effective in certain situations. Yeah, for sure. When you can't get a tower, when you can't get a radio station. Right. 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 But most of us in. We're hiking in right. national forest. If, you, if yeah. you're bombed out in the in the bottom of a valley yeah. and you got a broken leg, yeah. I'd rather have the Garmin. Yeah, because I can just hey, I've got the sky above me. Yeah, with a ham radio, you're gonna want to be uh, get some elevation on you. Yeah, and that's gonna get you again get that higher elevation. You're gonna get longer line of sight out to potential people that can help you. Mm. So w- walk me through because I- I'm very interested in making a ham radio, getting my license, mm-hmm. and making it a part of my EDC. Because I, w- one, we we always propose an everyday carry because in most conveniences in your life, you have the opportunity to carry a bag, a purse, a purse, European man satchel. I carry a Patagonia fly fishing bag. We're making our own everyday I that. carry. I like that bag. And my, my 20 is down here. My yeah, you carry the, the 20. It's like... 20 or 30. It's like, why it would you not, if you have the opportunity, yeah. because you're just moving around from place to place th- with your vehicle anyway, that's part of your EDC. Why does it need to be part of your EDC? And what's the protocol for when things do go wrong? And that's oh, obviously man, that's more a, complex. That's a big question. Yeah, that's a big one. So the, the, it's, it's modular, right? If you're looking for modularity. my I do carry a small flashlight in my pocket. Mm-hmm. It's a AAA little tiny flashlight. Yep. But I carry like a headlamp in my backpack. Yeah, me too. So it's it's a different level of modularity, right? So I don't want to be fumbling around with something in my hands, so I'll go to the headlamp. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to go to that most of the time. Yeah. So it's just for different situations. So the radio sits in kind of one of the side pouches on the bag, 
And if I'm hiking or wherever, if I'm at Disneyland, um, I'll squawk out my packet like every 30 minutes saying, hey, this is where I'm at or, you know, whatever. Uh, and when so, you say squawk, mm-hmm. sending data? Yeah, yeah, it goes, okay. and that's the that's it. That Does says, it do it by itself? Yeah, yeah, you set oh. it every 30, well, it's, it's actually smart enough that you can set it for just every 30 minutes or however long, or it will know, it'll do what's called smart beaconing. So if you're driving and you're going 60 miles an hour on a straight road, it doesn't need a beacon that much because it just knows, oh, you're going straight. Yeah. If you're up in the hills and you're turning constantly, yeah. the more you're turning and stuff, it'll squawk more. It's just a blue force tracking device. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, Passive. It, yeah, it's passive. So it's just squawking out and it'll get picked up and there's a website you can actually go on and <sighs> it, it's Google Earth basically, Google Maps for, for radio. So your family, friends, spouse. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So I leave that on me. That's squawking out when I'm doing a hike or, or whatever. Um, occasionally. Otherwise, I'll have it turned off. Um, I do leave it on that simplex frequency because who knows, somebody may need help. And where I live, kind of like here, I'm in I'm in the lowland, um, but there's a lot of mountains that I can pick up. And if people are up on the mountains calling for help, well, I can. They may not have cell phone signal up there, but I can see it with my radio, so I can I can. Help do you think that's an individual responsibility when you're in this in, when you're in this realm of communi- when you're in this level of communications? To be able to monitor, like I feel like, sure. like I, what I feel like is it's like similar to med. If yeah. I'm if I'm trained to do tactical combat casualty care or treat trauma, period, and I have an IFAC or an individual kit or a you know a vehicle kit, mm-hmm. and I come across an accident, it's an individual responsibility for me, at least in my tribe and community, mm-hmm. to be able to help that person. So, do you feel that the same way with the radio as a ham radio operator? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you not? You're hiking. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, so particularly when I'm in the car too, because mm-hmm. the car has got a sustainable power source. So my FTM 400 generally is always on simplex. I leave it 146.5. 146.520, yeah. And I'm just monitoring, right? Just in case something is going on. What are the odds anything's going to happen? Very slim. But the reason why I monitor is because people hop on there just to say, hey, what's up? And you talk to them and you can slide off and, and have a, you know, another call off of that frequency. And that's great. You know, it's just using the radio. It's just using the radio is fun. Yeah. Um, so when you're everyday carrying and you got something like that in your pocket, the FTM 400, you're, I'm sorry, the FT2DR, you can use it or not use it. It's just another tool in your arsenal, your modular kind of whatever scenario you you might find yourself in, um, you're just prepared, right? It's, it, it weighs very little. There's nothing to really worry about with it. And you can have fun because you, if, you're, if you're active on your local repeaters, you can just be using that for the local repeater and monitoring simplex at the same time, right? Because it's, it's two channel. Yeah. So no big deal. You're, you're, you're kind of handling a potential emergency situation or just random, hey, I need help with something kind of thing. And then also talking to your buddies on the local repeater. Yeah. So, so it's, it doesn't the, hurt. The amount of redundancy and contingencies it has in it is mm-hmm. is vast. Right. What's the... So you said, and this is the Yasu, which is Y-A-E-S-U. Mm-hmm. And then it's the... This model is the digital FT2D. You said there's a... a yeah, there's a 3D. The, the new model FT3D FT3DR yeah and I'll and guys I'll put this in the notes too I'm just I'm actually taking a note for myself because I'll put it in the notes now that's the I would call that more towards the high end of, yeah. of where amateur radio is at right now because that's like I think it's three hundred and 
$20, $340. So yeah. it's not a joke, right? You, you just, don't have it yet, though. You haven't bought it. Bought no, but I mean, yet. that's still expensive, the FT2DR. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do similar things, so I haven't decided on whether I'm going to upgrade or not. Okay. But, you know, going back to the Baofeng, 25 bucks, you can EDC that. There's no reason that you wouldn't. The only thing that that gets is you get the GPS and you get some more features. But going back to a radio being a radio, that Baofeng is a radio being a radio. You can still do all the things that I just talked about basically with the Baofeng. So what what is the first, because you carry, your handheld survival radio is the UV-3R. Which is That's like the real, like, pack it away, yeah, kind of have a not kit. Not worried about. Um, yeah, th- that one is like, you can hand this off to somebody with that instruction sheet kind of to yeah. say like, this is how you use this. Um, that's for kind of like shit hits the fan. Now you, t- you, I, it's interesting because we talked about this before this and we're going to do uh, some YouTube content on it, but um, I love your survival video, uh, your preparedness video on this, which is a three part series. And it starts off with, uh, your wife, I believe, is in a, a, a park or something, and there's an explosion in the background, mm-hmm. and then she has to react. And and I love how simple you made it for people in your life who don't necessarily have the knowledge and understanding of what these things do. Yeah, You made a cheat card, and then she just followed the instructions and then did exactly the protocol. Yep. So what are those things that you recommend um, in, in setting up the basics for your family mm-hmm. and for uh, your friends in an emergency. And then uh, walk us through kind of that, that process. Yeah, so quick thing on that video. Uh, she went in totally blind. I didn't awesome. tell her anything. Yeah. Uh, I just said, radio's on, or the camera's on. Open this thing up. An emergency just and happened. take it as you see it. Yeah, an emergency just happened, and you don't know where I'm at. And she ran through it. I was like, wow. okay. Well, I guess it worked because yeah. <laughs> it's on the video. So the thing to keep in mind with all this stuff is you're, you got to have a goal of some kind. So the goal for that little kit that I made for my wife was hopefully I'm within some range of her, right? I'm not at my work, which is 20 miles away. That thing's not going to get there. So I'm, I'm somewhere local or who cares? She's just looking for help from anyone. Uh, and there's no comms. Cell phones are gone. Power's gone. Again, typical earthquake scenario that, you know, you don't have power. You don't have natural gas. Maybe you have cell phone, but it's definitely not working with voice or it's totally overloaded, which is what happens. And so you're you're in a situation. What do you do? You got to get your comms up. So a little kit like that, you got the radio. Likely you'd have the battery disconnected from the radio so that it doesn't kind of self-deplete. And then you ideally you have to have something to get it back up and running a power source of some kind yeah right hopefully you've got like a battery backup a battery bank or whatever the reason why i went with that radio specifically and i i I almost hate when i bring this radio up because they're really hard to find but they're great because they you can usb charge them these ones the uv3rs yeah yeah yeah. because they're so small they've got a they've got a plug it's dc power jack is usb so you can just plug it into a power bank and it charges it. Yeah. It doesn't put out a lot of power, but that's really not that big a deal when if you kind of live where I live where there's lots of people around, it'll get you hopefully far enough out that you can get some help back to you. Um, so a big thing for disaster or emergency preparedness for radio is making sure you can keep the comms running, a sustainable situation. I mentioned solar earlier. That's kind of where I try to go with it. You know, gas is going to be important 
if you're in a survival situation. And you're not necessarily going to want to pull that off of a generator that's running something else or in a car. You may not want to do that. But solar is great. Solar goes straight from the panel to a battery. Battery juice goes into the radio or the batteries just go into the radio. So that's a great option. And the, the little panel that I brought, I just use it to top off AA cells. And that little battery bank can go directly into the UV5 or the UV3R or potentially UV5R if you have it set up correctly to do that. You'll have to do a little wiring changes to make that work. Um, and then that FT2DR has a battery pack that you can swap out. And that battery pack, not that one, that one's lithium ion, but the other one that I have in my solar kit is AA. So you lose some of the output power of the by using AA cells. Versus but, lithium. You get versus the more lithium, yeah. yeah, yeah. But who cares? It, yeah. You're... A lot of the game, a lot of the game is just understanding your sit rep, right? What's happening? Take in as much comms as you can. And so VHF, UHF, I carry one of those. I also carry a shortwave portable radio that does AM, FM, and, and, um, and the shortwave bands, and air, and weather. That also runs on double A's. So they're all using the same battery source. They all pull in information. It doesn't matter what it is. Just try to get as much information as you can to understand what's going on. Because if the TVs are out, your cell phone's out, you're not going to know what's up. Wow. Um, I used the, on the second video, I used in the example of the explosion, and I started it out by saying, nobody, the first responders, whomever, they don't know what caused the explosion. They don't know what the are what the effects are of the explosion. Is there something in the air? Is it nuclear? In in who knows, right? You don't know. And if you don't have comms to be able to pull that up, how how are you going to find out? So having some level of redundancy in your comms is important. And it's not just the ham radio aspect, right? I brought an FRS radio. I brought shortwave radios general purpose receiver radios. You want to tap into all of that as far as I'm concerned, particularly when it's a non, you know, if it's a disaster. If it's a disaster, grab all the information you can, right? And that's kind of been my policy. So EDCing, I, I try to get it as light as possible and try to have uh, modular power or redundant power systems or all the same power systems so that you can keep them fueled and running with not a lot of effort. Yeah, I, it's interesting because in the context of disasters, we forget that we're not necessarily transmitting our situation because we might be good. That's right. We're trying to receive information to understand the big picture. That's but, right. Especially, especially when we're displaced and we're kind of disoriented. We're like trying to figure out where do we go? Mm-hmm. Where is the tent that's going to help us with first aid and resources because we've lost the infrastructure? And that's a that's a great point. I've never even thought about that. Um, when I was in Afghanistan, we had those uh, the windy uh, emergency radios that like UNICEF was giving out. <laughs> yeah, and we were trash. Yeah, we well we didn't. It's crazy. Is in Afghanistan, I was in the Hindu Kush. I was way up there. Um, we didn't have a lot of entertainment forms of entertainment, so we should oh, just cool. pop it up, and it had a little solar panel on it. We'd wind it up and let it run, and we'd work out whatever was on the radio. And, you know, there's people transmitting all over the place in the Hindu Kush. At least you're picking up traffic across the ways. And so we'd listen to some random station in, like, 
Tajikistan mm -hmm. that's pumping out like 80s rock or something oh, like that. Wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. It was super cool because that was our only form of entertainment because this is before we had base stations of good internet or anything anything in the form of entertainment. Um, in preparedness, when you look at like a mobile platform, an EDC in your vehicle, what would you look at as a, as a base station setup? Because I'm assuming maybe the base station is a little bit more robust mm -hmm. um, because that's your home, your base, a home of base. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about a car? Like if you're, no, like beyond the car, like at your house. Oh, oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. The, the sky's the limit with that. We can talk Do about you that have for that? Hours. Oh, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, man. So it's it's all of this, which I just covered, yeah. but just with more power and uh, better receiving capability. You have the antennas on your roof and I everything? I have a massive antenna. Really? <laughs> I piss off all the neighbors. That's so I've awesome. I've had neighbors come knock on my door and say, you're you're uh, you're interfering with my Wi-Fi. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and I'm like, right now, and they're like, yeah, your your antennas. And I'm like, man, I'm not even transmitting. How is it? How am I affecting you right now? The radio I'm hasn't even been on all day. I'm just chilling, man. Uh, no, it's it's some kind of passive thing that's happening. I'm like, man, you don't know anything. <laughs> you got to give a PowerPoint, like yeah, break yeah. it down for them. Oh, they're gonna give a science lesson to, to to my neighbors that are mad about an antenna that's on the roof. Wonderful. No, so at home, oh man, I have a kind of a desktop base station radio, right? Yeah. That's what they, they're generally called. And there's so many out there. Man, I could talk about that. I have talked about that. I, I did a video called the $1,000 Shack, Ham Radio Shack. Yeah. And it's for the home-based setup. And it covers VHF, UHF, but like at a, at a base station level, and HF. And uh. then... An antenna, ideally an antenna as well to kind of, of course, you've got to have an antenna for all these. But yeah, $1,000 uh, covering VHF, UHF, HF with the antennas and a power source of some kind of power at all, right? Uh, and that can vary totally because, again, it's goal-based. It's likely in an emergency, a localized disaster, you don't necessarily need HF radio. Yeah. HF comms, you're going to want VHF, UHF, because that's where a lot of the radio uh, emergency preparedness groups are going to be anyways. They're going to be on VHF, UHF. You're going to be able to monitor the frequencies that they're operating on, and you'll be able to call for help if you need it or call help for others or possibly help say, hey, no, I've got a, I've got a four-wheel drive, and I can tow you out, right? Somebody's stuck, right? That happens, sure. Yeah. So that is one goal, right? That's kind of a starting point. Hey, get a, get a decent VHF, UHF at home. Get yourself what they call a ground plane antenna mounted on the side of the roof as high as you can up. Get that, that vertical takeoff angle. And, and, and that would be a good initial goal. When you go to HF, that's when, you start, that's when you're going to start needing bigger antennas, longer wires, vertical mass, you know. These are the ones that are strung in the trees, right? Yeah, this is yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, strung in the trees is one way to do it. The one I have is actually on a, a mass and it rotates because it's directional. It, it focuses the RF. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to go that route. That's kind of more the late game type of uh, amateur radio stuff. With HF, though, that's when you're making calls out and receiving people that are further out. I get I get con I get messages all the time. Hey, I want to reliably talk to my brother. Where's your brother? Ah, he's a hundred miles, two hundred miles, three hundred miles away from me. You're likely not doing that reliably with VHF UHF. You're definitely not doing it with a Baofeng. Mm -hmm. It would have to be a base station VHF UHF radio, 
and likely a beam, a focused beam antenna, right, that is going to really fire that, that RF off. But if you've got a mountain in the way or you've got trees or whatever, that's not going to help you get there. So there are ways to do it with HF, um, but again, you're going to have to have a specific antenna to be able to do it. And in that case, it, we use something called Invis, which is basically a wire antenna that's close to the ground. And instead of like trying to shoot for that that angle where it bounces off the atmosphere and comes back down on the far side of the earth kind of thing, we're shooting the RF straight up, hitting the atmosphere and coming straight down. And that'll give you 300, 400 miles of a, a circle of area effect of, of your RF. A lot of groups will use that like FEMA, DHS, those guys will use Invis for um, what we call WinLink, which is email an email system over RF, over HF. So we use these incident reports, these forms that we fill out, you know, for whatever's going on. If we've got to make an announcement that, hey, in this, in this particular area, we have a, a fire or we have a road blockage, don't go that way. All that stuff we can send over radio. There's other systems that they use, the first responders, but if it all breaks down, it's probably all coming back to, to amateur radio because mm-hmm. it's going to be effective and work. All right. So out of all the, you know, you've been doing this for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, what's the most interesting story that you have on ham radio communications or, or communications period that, that you've experienced? Uh, prob- well, the most interesting for me, kind of fulfilling thing, was we did a uh, meetup where we had a Summits on the Air event. And just to give a little bit of background, Summits on the Air is kind of a radio sport thing where we hike to the top of a, of a summit, identified as a mountain, and we make communication, we make contacts. And if you get four contacts, you get uh, the points based off of the elevation of the mountain. And so I organized a, a camp out. Basically, we hiked up there, stayed overnight, and we just worked radio like all night <laughs> into the morning and then packed up and went out. But uh, it was great because we had different types of, you know, we had technicians, we had generals, we had extras. And it was just fun getting people out there playing radio. For me, as much as I like sitting at home in the shack, I like going outdoors with radio yeah. and kind of having this emergency type preparedness radio equipment and applying it and actually doing something that you may actually do. I was like, well, that's really fulfilling. Um, other than that, just really just little contacts that pop up, like talking to somebody in New Zealand, right? Swinging the antenna around wow, that's cool. and just going straight to them. And you hear them almost like they're sitting like we are right now talking really? to each other. Yeah. I mean, not this high fidelity of voice yeah. because we're using a, a voice mode that's a bit lower fidelity, but just stuff like that where you, you hop on and you hear people in Japan talking to people in the States or you're hearing, you know, my buddy in Florida He's talking to me. It's just a lot of little things like that. It's it's nothing fantastical like, oh, I saved somebody yeah. that got stranded or blah, blah, blah. It's just like it's a part of my life and it's just It's accumulation fun. of everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just a, it's just a fun thing where it's like you kind of surprise yourself. Like making a call this morning to Japan. Yeah. I mean- Out of a hotel window. Yeah. And it, <laughs> in Prescott. For people that know amateur radio are, are probably thinking, wow, that's pretty crazy. Because yeah, I'm in, I'm in Arizona, which- Making contacts for me in California is a little bit easier, close to the ocean, and I've got a flat kind of takeoff. We're somewhat in the mountains here, um, and I'm, I'm on a southern-facing window out of my uh, hotel, and I'm shooting out to Japan. It's pretty awesome. It, it's just it is fun. Awesome. It's just fun being able to kind of stretch the muscle a bit and, and seeing what you can do. That's more, it, that's more or less that. It's like fun stuff I built 
Because a lot of this, a lot of amateur radio is about what you can build. Yeah. It's not just you go buy a Yesu or a Kenwood or an ICOM radio. That's all great. It's fun. But, you know, we're licensed, so you can just home build your own radio. Wow. You just scratch build that thing. There's plans online. You can go build it. Building something and then using it. It's like really fulfilling. Yeah. Like antennas, building antennas and then using them. Stuff like that's really awesome for me. What's the most difficult place to get comms with? Country-wise or, you know, location-wise? North Korea. Really? Is <laughs> yeah. there anybody communicating in it, North Korea? In I'm the sure community? they get shot if they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the there's a, there's a list of the like 100 most sought-after contacts. Really? Number one, North Korea. Wow. Because you can't do it. There's there's nobody there with them. I mean, I, I was talking earlier about the de-expedition guys, the guys who go yeah. to these far-off locations. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm waiting for some ballsy dude Step to in. throw a man pack on his back and jump across the book border. It, book it into North Korea, wow. make a bunch of contacts, and then flee. I've actually heard people have tried that yeah. specifically to get some contacts out because it's just so restricted. But you could try to, you could attempt comms with North Korea right now. and it, There's and, nobody. But but you could, I mean, how would that work? Like if you wanted to communicate or attempt communication, you would just send a transmission sure. and then hope somebody in that area. I mean, you would, I'm assuming you would use like a, was it an Augie? Or a Yagi. A Yagi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a directional antenna. Mm-hmm. And then you would try to ping something, some kind of reception of information. Well, there'd have to be an operator on the same frequency yeah. there, yeah. which they don't. They don't allow. It's just straight yeah. up not allowed. I'm sure that they have a ton of signal intelligence that they're listening to all the frequencies. Yeah, yeah. But their government does not let you, does is, not let them transmit. Is it against the law for you to transmit? Good question. Yeah. So that would probably, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about Iran? Because Iran is pretty. So the, the, those are those are really good questions. So there is a there's an international body that we usually have to have some kind of agreement with mm-hmm. the FCC for us to work contacts with them. Oh wow! Okay, it's like the IAU or the ITU or something. Like yeah. That. So you just can't pick up the radio and start communicating to a dude in Tehran. It, yeah, it was it was it was more important during the Cold War. It's less important now, but there are certain countries that like yeah we we. You know, you, you're not really gonna make contacts with. I believe Bosnia was one recent where it was like, yeah, Kosovo maybe. Yeah. Where they recently kind of opened up a bit, freed that up, and that all of a sudden a lot of contacts. They used to be way at the top, and now they've they've dropped because yeah. it's so easy to make contacts with them now. Wow. What's the most interesting? What's the most interesting communications with a country that you've had? Is it just small talk? Or is it is there it's, deliberate means of communication? So again, because if you're making really long distance contacts, you're trying to keep it short because you don't know when something's going to change in the atmosphere and it, you're just going to close the door on it. Yeah. Because that's, you know, like I said earlier, the bands have day and night cycles to them. Yeah. And if you happen to have an opening at this particular time, five minutes from now, it could be shut down. So you're generally just trying to get their call sign trying to exchange the signal um, coming in and out of there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a bit of Couple information. Words. What's the weather like? Or, you know, how you doing? But there have been times where it's been open and you can make contacts pretty reliably for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, or longer. Um, Japan's a big one for me because I'm so close to California, yeah. you know, being easy to make that hop. Folks on the East Coast, there's a lot of amateur radio operators on the East Coast, probably more on the East Coast than the West Coast. They can get the easy hop over into the U.K., 
and wow. Europe, right? Yeah. And then that's that's fun because English there's speakers, so many yeah. countries over there. Yeah, and they're English speakers, so it's a little bit better. The the guys who really clean up are the the Morse code people because uh, Morse code it's not as as uh, detailed as human voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're hearing me and you're hearing my voice, but over the radio, you lose a lot of that, um, particularly if it's a long call. Yeah. But with Morse code, it's a, it's a dit or a da. And Morse code base language is English. So you can, you the same, the same you know, 100 watts you put out uh, on Morse code is more effective than using voice. Uh-huh. So they actually go out further. They can be heard further. Than, um, than if you were using voice. So those guys, those guys end up cleaning up all kinds of contacts. But it sounds like dits and daws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah here it is. Uh, I know in our course, our special forces combo sergeants have to learn Morse code. No way. Yeah, they have to. How learn many it. words per minute? Um, is it one twenty? I used to know this answer because I was almost twenty a combo. words. Fifteen. No, uh, uh, you it, might have a different. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's it, it but that was the thing that got everybody. So oh, if, yeah, if yeah. You, it, you would wash out if you yeah. didn't learn Morse code. Yeah, and I don't know if times have changed, but the way they used to train people to do Morse code, um, it's changed significantly. So I, I don't know what the – I didn't even know the military still did that. Yeah, it's crazy. Cr- that is crazy. Yeah, it's great. When we when I heard that, I mean, I, I almost became a combo sergeant because they, they actually slotted me to be an 18 Echo, but I, I talked to somebody and got it changed up. Um, but so when you're doing uh, communications world – worldwide in, in this, uh, um, like your base station and you're c- communicating to different countries, are there, are their protocols open and not FCC type regulated because they're countries? They have their own version of the FCC. Uh, so the, the countries all have their own kind of FCC governing body. Yeah. And then there is an international group that, um, kind of, maintains the loose agreements between the countries. Uh, so like the boards will come together and representatives of all the countries will come and then they'll say, hey, we're going to do this rule. Everybody agree? Yeah, we agree. Okay, everybody work that way from now on. And that's that's pretty much how it goes. So it's it's also a volunteer-based board, the uh, International Telecommunications Union, ITU or something like that, or the IARU is another one. And they, um, they'll basically just try and maintain the loose agreements we have, and then it's up to the individual countries to kind of police it. Like okay. Italy is a Italy is a well-known country for using way more power than you're supposed to legally. Really? They'll they'll have amps that are like three point five blast airways, and they're just slamming in because they've got these ma- massive power stations. Um, technically, that's not legal in Italy, but you know they'll still do it. Yeah, they'll just still <laughs> yeah. pump it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I breezed over it, and I want to get back to it real sure. quick about the vehicle stuff because okay. you know mobility. We talk about mobility and preparedness as being the extension of your rucksack and being, you know, in in its form and capacity, meaning you have a lot of room to put a lot of crap, mm-hmm. but you could also obviously use it to bound, move, and break out of a bad situation, whether that's urban to rural or getting off grid, whatever it may be. Um, what do you recommend for a setup in your mobility rig or vehicle? So definitely a VHF, UHF radio would be your first step. And I, I know a lot of guys will put like a mobile antenna on their rig and then they'll connect it to their Baofeng or their handy talkie. 
you can make it work with that. I wouldn't. I would get a mobile radio, a 50-watt mobile radio. 50 watts is going to do you really well for most anything that you need to with, again, those line-of-sight comms. Um, ones, there is something called crossband repeating. I really like crossband repeating because what that allows you to do is basically if you're out hiking, you leave the radio on in your car. The, or your truck, right, in crossband repeat mode. And you're out hiking, and you have your radio, your handy talkie, keyed to operate through your mobile radio. So you got close-in comms to your vehicle, 5 watts to your vehicle, and then the vehicle is going to take those comms, amplify them to 50 watts, and get it out. Hmm. So that's a good layer of, of, of ability you have, functionality that you have. Now, from that point... Um, the advantage of mobile is that you get a much bigger antenna, right? So you're going to have a much bigger antenna on your car. It's going to be more effective. You're going to put out more power. That's great. You can also add in functionality like we, we dipped into APRS a little bit, which that is the radio will have a GPS receiver. It will take that GPS receiver and then turn that into a digitized packet of data and squawk it out over RF. And that gets picked up by other stations, either other mobile stations, handy talkie stations, or actual like repeaters. And those repeaters will sometimes connect it to the internet. And then you can point your family or loved ones to a website that'll basically track your progress as you go around. So when I hike, I use APRS a lot to track where I'm at and what I'm doing. And you oh, can do that really with your cool. car. Yeah. That's right. And is it using, like, uh, I remember this with uh, our Humvees and Land Rovers that we used in different countries. We tied it into the power in the in the rig. Yeah. And so you're using the alternator to turn power, to, to keep the uh, power topped off, mm -hmm. but it all ties into that, right? Yeah. Really good distinction. If anybody's going out and doing mobile radio, you need to get a solution to connect the power cord to the radio directly to the battery in your car. The reason for that is cars put out a tremendous amount of RFI. They put out all kinds of radio interference. Alternators in particular can be an absolute nightmare. And just the wiring, right? The internal wiring in and around the car, that basically turns into an antenna. Wow. And so it's just transmitting out this in interference. So if you go straight from the, ra uh, the radio into the battery, the battery will act almost as like a filter and help suppress that. So definitely try to go directly to the battery instead of like uh, one of those fuse helpers that you can crimp them, you know, and then you can... Yeah, just, yeah. You, you can use that in dire situations, but try and go straight to the battery. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, like, these are the questions. Oh, man. This Whoa. is like... Yeah. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that's like 50 scrolls of oh, just questions. <laughs> I, we're not going to go over all those. Um, what I'll do for you guys on Instagram that that follow us on Phil Craft Survival and even my personal, uh, mike.a.glover, is I'll ask on the podcast probably about three to five questions, and then we'll do an Instagram, uh, not a live, but we'll do an Instagram video upload for the, the rest of the questions. Um, let's get some good ones. I saw one up here that was pretty good. Um, what's a good starter uh radio ham radio for a vehicle and a ham held in nomenclature that you recommend what was your go what would it be your go-to if you had to buy one right now so oh man yeah so the the baofeng uv5r right was kind of like the gateway drug one it's 25 bucks i just did a video on the yesu ft4x and that is 75 dollars similar to a baofeng 
but it's got a bit better components and it's what they call spectrally pure mm. in that the Chinese radio manufacturers don't care if when you use the Baofeng and you key it up that it creates spurious emission in frequency spaces it's not supposed to. It's kind of dirty. It can throw out a lot of stuff yeah. that's not on the frequency you're trying to talk on versus the Yesu FT4X does it it filters out everything but just where you want to be which somebody made an argument which i was like i don't know about that somebody made an argument that technically you could you could direction find the operating station easier off of its uh, harmonic that it was not that was not the filtered harmonic so those little spurious emissions that the radio is putting out you could df off the the harmonics of that and I'm like, well, why wouldn't they just turn on the main frequency and just DM the, DF them that way? And DF is direction fine. But uh, I was like, okay, well, sure, that's an argument. So that would be uh, one. The If you wanted to get another Baofeng, the BFFA HP is a step up from the UV5R. It has a higher power output, but it's better quality material. So those are just three. Now, the mobile is trickier. The the mobile that I have in my truck is a TYT9800 that I've had for years and years and years, and that is a 50-watt analog transmitter. It doesn't do much other than that. Um, it does cross-band repeat. That's its only advantage. It's cheap, though. It's like 200 bucks, something like that. If you're going to a mobile, because uh, I, I, what I'm about to say is going to tell people to go drop some bills. The FTM 400, I really, really like it. It's another Yesu radio. That's what I got. That's yeah, yeah, that's what I have too. And I really like it. It's a really nice size. It has a remote remoting head unit. Yep. So the body of the radio you can bury somewhere in the in the dashboard or under a seat. And then you just have this nice little screen. And it's really vivid and you get really good control over the radio. But with that said, you know, uh, ICOM, they produce a very similar radio. It has a bigger screen. It's not color. And I, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's like a 5100 or 5400. Uh, but same kind of principle, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the thing to remember with the Japanese brands, and, and mainly the radios that we use today are the Japanese brands, they all make kind of similar radios, and they all perform pretty comparably. Mm -hmm. It really just becomes what you like more it's very aesthetic so you went to the ham radio outlet right in yeah. anaheim and they've got them all laid out there and you can go in there and go hands-on with them and the guys will talk to you on on different things they geeked out too they oh yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're nuts so for it yeah um by the way that's like four miles from my house that's crazy so it's, it's, it's really that. dangerous to be that close <laughs> i have a gun store that's really close and i've got the ham radio store that's really close so i've got double pull on my wallet um but you're really, you really owe it to yourself to kind of go hands-on or go look at video reviews online, and hopefully they do a good enough job to, like, walk through some of that stuff. But, you know, for me, it's a kind of a personal thing. You're going to get something you like that is – it has the same functionality as another brand. It's just the way they do it, the control scheme, yeah. I just don't like. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know. That's a tough one because it's, like, it's very personal. Yeah. And at a certain point – you got to step up if you want to have that extra capability like APRS and whatnot, and you yeah. pay for it. So FTM 400 um, and the TYT 9800 if you wanted to go with something cheaper. Somebody said on the question, which is, uh, it stands out to me, it says, now that the cheap UV5R radios are illegal, mm. 
what's a good entry handheld radio? Mm. Isn't that the one I just bought on Amazon? Yeah. So, oh boy. Okay. So the the FCC made a a ruling, and it was like a enforcement memo. That was what the title was, basically saying that radios like the UV five R and other Chinese radios that were not licensed by the FCC couldn't be imported and couldn't be sold. But technically, if you owned it, you were fine. Yeah. Now, here's here's my big thing on this. And, and the FCC may disagree with me. Um, I made a video on this topic as well. It's my feeling that we should be able to receive anything we want. You can receive... If you're using an AM, FM radio, and handy talkie, whatever, receive all you want. Yeah. It's when you go to transmit, that's when you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah. And I'm I'm fine with that. You know, if, if you buy a Baofeng, and it's programmed to the ambulance frequency that they use, and you transmit on it, well, if something happens, you got to be held accountable for that. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with the Baofengs, is they're not frequency locked to amateur spaces. They're wide open. They cover all of the VHF, UHF space. Is that a good thing for radio operators? It's a good thing for survival situations, for emergency situations. It's really good because you can can receive those emergency first responder radios with it. You got to have the wherewithal not to push that button though because then you could be you could be jamming basically over those frequencies and causing problems to the first responders. So, and that's the reason why it's regulated. That's the reason why oh. they're cracking down be- because, again, you know, the the FCC says, "Hey, um, if you're going to sell a radio in the country, it needs to be locked to the frequency spaces that you you intend to have it operate on," mm. which makes sense for transmission. Mm-hmm, for yeah. transmission, but it's it's oftentimes from the Chinese aspect, they're not going to go through the, the wherewithal to like make certain spaces transmit only, make all this receive only. Yeah. They're just going to say, here you go. It's cheaper to just throw this out the door. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. And so the FCC said, well, we, we can't really have that. We're going to throttle it back. And so they, that had, that's why they put that enforcement memo out. What, what is it? So that means that you could buy it on Amazon, which I just did. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the ban hasn't worked that well if you can still buy them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what they started to do was use uh, firmware locking. So they, they try to create a standardized program of the radio that would lock out certain frequency spaces. At least uh, that's the claim that they're making. So is there beef? Because people, there's a couple people in here, ham, probably radio operators, and they said, hey, what does he feel about the whole Bofeng drama that's going on? There's mad beef. Uh, is it because it's a Chinese-made company? The if any privacy stuff, you know, if it was a Yugoslavian uh, radio that was twenty five dollars, there'd probably be somebody complaining about it. There are so many arguments for and against Baofengs. Just it is a hot topic. There are many who claim that because of the spurious emissions of the Baofeng, mm-hmm. that it is affecting people that are adjacent to those frequencies, which is a valid claim. There are people who claim that because the circuitry and components in the radio are pretty cheap, that it sounds bad. And when you operate on a repeater, you are creating trash, like you're transmitting out this trash audio onto the repeater. Um, There are 
claims that the Baofeng uses technology that was from other radio companies, which technically is true. It's it's based off of a Kenwood radio. And that there are other claims that because it's so cheap, people are just buying it and they're not getting their license or they're not learning anything about radio. And they're just programming it on FRS and GMRS frequencies and using it, which is technically illegal yeah. because that's not an FRS or GMRS radio. That's a amateur radio. It puts out too much power for the FCC guidelines for FRS and GMRS, but people do it anyway. So all those claims are like little nits that people have against the Baofeng at the same time. So I understand that. I acknowledge it. I understand what they're saying. Yeah. yeah and they make sense. They're, they're, I think the repeater stuff is a little off base because if there's a joke, I always tell people, if you're, if you're, if you're going to use a re, uh, Baofeng on a repeater, just tell everybody it's an ICOM or a Yesu, mm-hmm. and just oh yeah, I've got a, a yeah, I've got a Yesu FT60 right here. How do I sound? Oh, you sound great. Oh, okay, and then go. I'm going to try another radio. Hold on, I'll be right back. Same radio. And go. Okay, this is my Baofeng. How's it sound? Oh crap! Oh my god! God, get out of here. Quality's gone. <laughs> yeah. So the repeater owners, some repeater owners, have actually just banned Baofengs. They said you can't use Baofengs on this repeater. How are they going to know? I, say, I have no know? idea. Yeah, yeah, but still, you know, people get people get all. They get all weird sometimes. Yeah. Um, so the the FRS thing is is kind of a problem. The emergency frequencies are kind of a problem because it's wide open. If you don't, if you just pick it up and you just take a guide offline and go, I want these frequencies, boom, 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 I'm done, and you just start using it, you don't know if you could be stepping on yeah. a local frequency that's being used by a first responder. Yeah. You you might not know. So if I if I turn it on mm-hmm. and it's open and drive around, I could start picking up first responder traffic all over the place. You'd have to be scanning. Yeah. Yeah. An active scan. An active scan. But keep in mind too, for anybody that's listening to this and you're buying a Baofeng as a scanner, I saw a website that was saying, yeah, Baofeng, one of the best scanners you can buy. Ooh, that's not true. The, the scanning capability on the Baofeng is very slow. It goes really slowly through the frequencies, which is you don't want that for a scanner. You want it. Yeah. Churning. I use digital scanners off of apps. Yeah. Which seem to be pretty fast. Uh, well, those are internet though based. Yeah, right? internet you're, based. you're using another radio to kind of fill that oh, role. Okay. But if you're doing like a local scanner, like a physical box scanner, I don't know. Baofengs are not good for that. Wouldn't be my recommendation. So I got a couple longer questions. In fact, I remember this because the guy's like, Hey, can you ask this question? It's a long question. Uh oh. Um so it says if your ham radio guest has taken part of ham exercises with the first responding agencies, what were some common mistakes and or and or oversights that they made and what were the remedies? Sorry for the long question. Hmm. If your ham radio guest is taking mm-hmm. part in any ham exercises with first responders, what were some of the common mistakes and or oversights that they made in comms? Uh, I am a member of CERT, which is a community emergency response team, but our group doesn't have a a comms uh, area. The people that you'd have to talk to for that are someone who's worked ARIES or RACES. Hmm. I've done local support of races, like foot races and stuff like that. Uh, From just my, from the limited experience I have in that area, I would say it is your power. It's the power and not having frequencies programmed uh, beforehand and checking them beforehand. Yeah, like a comms plan. There's no If there's no comms plan and you're trying to figure there it out. There generally yeah. is. If, if you're going to an Aries event or a Races event, and I've interviewed a lot of people in, in, these, in this area, 
a couple of the admins that work on my Discord, they, they're, they're all Aries and Racies guys because they're in a state that has active Aries and Racies. They have a comms plan. And so you got to go and program that radio and get it set up beforehand and then, you know, have it available to use. There's also, which is kind of an interesting concept is, you know, so if you're in a group of people, what, you know, if you were in a team and you were going to use the same firearm, you, you would generally try to stay with a certain caliber, with a certain type of gun, rifle, whatever. Well, that's not necessarily true with amateur radio. Everybody kind of goes and gets their own thing. But they have all their own programming capability. Like the way you program them, the user interface is different. So for emergency teams, it's generally recommended that they try and create like a uniform recommendation. Mm -hmm. Use this radio, buy this radio, and keep it for your emergency work and, and have it ready to go with this comms plan. It doesn't necessarily need to be one radio to kind of rule them all. In fact, most amateur radio kind of like gun guys, they end up getting a lot of them, right? You, you end up collecting them. So if you have something, you know, again, if you're working with an emergency group, try to create some uniformity in, in what your kind of gear loadout is. And yeah. Have them pre-coordinated. And power. It's always power, too. Make sure you've got the... If you understand the event is going to be six hours, then spec your battery to last you 12, mm. right? If you're going to be doing a weekend event, you need to make sure you've got something to recharge those batteries. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's standard stuff, but you got to build in a bit of extra. Mm, I like that. Um, what should I get to extend my range with a Bofang UV5R um, other than um, he's trying to hunt out a better antenna? Mm -hmm. Is there a, a, an alternative for this? this, this Absolutely. Whip? There's, I mean, they're they're all over Instagram now. They're the Abri antenna. Have yeah. you seen those? Uh-uh. I should have brought one. I thought you might have seen one. So it's, it's you know, the uh, the tape measure antennas? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, the folders? Yep. They have them for Baofangs now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And they're super cheap. They're, yeah. I did a review. They fold up, rubber band. You yeah. You just throw them up. Yep, yep. I did a review. I've made two videos on the Abreeze. They have an 18-inch, a 28-inch, and a 42-inch model, wow. which is just ridiculous. And they're getting, I'm assuming that's increasing your capability. It does and it doesn't. So that, this is very, I got to be very clear on this. So the Baofeng is not a, a QA reliable radio. Like if you took a thousand Baofengs, you're going to get all kinds of different QA results. Yeah. Some Baofengs, when you throw a high gain antenna on like that, you'll flood the front end with too much. It, it's just too much RF coming in and it, it, white, it whites it out. It basically mutes the radio's receive side. That can happen in some cases mm. with the Abri antenna because some Baofengs, and I got to be really clear, generally I buy Chinese radios off of Amazon. They are from resellers who have to qualify with how Amazon allows you to resell, not to mention if you get a lemon, you just say, Amazon, take it back. But if you're getting it off of like Wish or Alibaba or buying it off of eBay, you could be getting like a counterfeit of a counterfeit Baofeng and you throw in a Brie on it or something with a lot more, a lot more whip material, you could be totally muting the front end. Now, so the, the, the Abri's fine. Uh, those are, those are okay. If you're not looking for that look though, there's something called a signal stick. It's made by Signal Stuff. It's the same guy who does hamstudy.org. He funds hamstudy.org, which is to help people get licensed by selling these, these antennas, which really? is actually that one that's on my, my daily driver. It's called a signal stick. 
It's a really lightweight whip. You can you can make a knot in it and fold it up. Uh, really, really nice antenna. Um, and so that I would recommend that, go that route. What if was you, the site again? It was... Uh, if you look for Signal Stuff, Signal Stick, Google that, and that should be it. That's a great on the antenna um, or on the radio antenna. So you've got the Abri or you've got the Signal Stick. If you're looking to go longer than that, or have something that's more of a temporary setup. Mm-hmm. It's called a foldable J-pole. Those are great little backpack antennas. It's a long twin lead that you kind of hook onto a tree, and then it it folds down, and then you've got a little wire that connects to the SMA connection on the radio. And that's what a lot of the guys that do summits on the air use. They'll they'll get it up real high, and that much longer material will will help them get those longer comms. Awesome. Um, what's the best resources for building antennas? Mm-hmm. Is there, I'm assuming there's a whole group of people. I used to geek out with my 18 Echo about trying to build antennas, like jungle uh, canopy antennas. Yeah, yeah. Google. I mean, just, just it depends on, so it depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for a two meter, 70 centimeter, right? There's all kinds of, pl- excuse me, there's all kinds of plans online for those those antennas. If you're going HF, there's all kinds of plans online. YouTube is an incredible resource for that. I wouldn't say there is a single resource. There's lots of really good ones. So I would just say Google it and start looking. Uh, it's, it's, this guy says this, and I thought this was true too, but I don't think it's true. Since California pulled the plug on yeah. ham repeaters, any groups looking at putting up ELS? I, I, wow, this is, this could be a really long topic. I'll try to make it as compact as possible. (laughs) So my buddy, Bob K6UDA of, uh, of YouTube fame, he found out about a repeater in Shasta, Shasta County, which is NorCal, Northern California. And that repeater owner received a notice from a group called Cal Fire. Cal Fire does not represent the entire state, but they represent a good portion of the California wildland area in in Northern California for firefighting. And the document or the letter that was received from the repeater owner was very poorly worded. The official that wrote it did not understand amateur radio at all and basically said, you have been found redundant. We are kicking your repeaters out of the repeater shack. Uh, however, if you want to pay us $6,000 to $8,000, we'll do a study just to determine if you could qualify to stay. Otherwise, get out. So Bob is a kind of a firebrand on YouTube, and he posted this video that had a lot of political, his political <laughs> thoughts in the, in the topic. And it created kind of a viral effect in amateur radio for a couple reasons. One, the actual claim about the repeater, and two, because of the political rant that Bob went on. Now, amateur radio tries to maintain a, a I don't know, a gentle face. Peace. Like a, yeah, yeah we, we try to we try to come across as like nice people, right? Yeah. And I, I think by and large we are generally, but there are a lot of preparedness minded people. Not saying that they aren't you know gentle and nice, but there's a lot of preparedness minded people that that do get really upset when the government oversteps its bounds. And to me, this is an example of that. So Bob makes this video, and it goes nuts. And he ends up getting in 
contact with the lawyer involved defending the repeater owner and interviews him and, and does a couple interviews. It turns out that as, as we're looking at all this in the rearview mirror, it turns out that the state sent out more than 25 letters to 25 repeater owners saying the same thing. So it's threatening to kick out a bunch of different Peter from, uh, people from these repeater shacks, get their equipment out of there. And the reason they were doing it, there's a couple of reasons. One, most of the first responders in California are going to a different system for their comms. And they believe that ham radio has no purpose because the first responders generally don't interoperate with amateur radio. They don't need to. They have good comm systems on their own. True statement. No question. I don't, I don't really disagree with that. But what the official didn't understand is that the repeater's there not only to help out the, the wildland firefighters or those interoperating with the CAL FIRE system, but to help out local amateurs and amateur radio operators and to help out the local emergency response teams. I don't know if it was Aries or Racy's. There is the sheriff's department, which in that area says that they do use it either on their off time or said that they use it with different systems that they have available. Like the sheriff's has, has a communication auxiliary team, and I believe they use it. I got to click. There's a click. Oh, it might be. Sorry. Um, so the lawyer comes back with all this information. Bob puts out subsequent videos. But at this point, because he put out this political kind of tirade, a lot of people have just been calling it fake news. Yeah. He did a, a capstone video recently, and he had the lawyer back on, and they just focused strictly on the facts, and they just laid it all out and said, look, it was a misunderstanding likely by that that official from one California. person one person yeah. didn't understand the effect of amateur radio and the state after this went viral has backpedaled completely they said they're not gonna issue these statements to amateur radio repeater owners because we're not we're not uh, we're not public companies we don't get paid for for amateur radio so the thought that they would charge someone six thousand dollars to take up a small space in a server rack in a in a radio room is kind of ridiculous, particularly because amateur radio is an FCC service as well as it is a hobby. We amateur radio is as much a service as it is a hobby. Yeah. In times when you really need it, it's gonna be amateur radio that does the work. It's true that the percentage of the statistical likelihood that we may need to use amateur radio in an emergency is getting smaller and smaller. But there are absolutely situations that still happen all the time where a single amateur helps out a single person that's lost or whatever. It may not be this wide-sweeping disaster recovery effort where amateur radio fills the central role of communication. That likely is not going to happen. But there will be situations where it's used right in the beginning, the very, very first of a disaster because none of the first responder emergency comms are set up or they haven't, they haven't fleshed out the entire chain of how that emergency would be dealt with, amateur radio will be right there, right in the beginning. And then it'll just transfer over to their comm system. But it's, it's still going to be used by all the people in the, in the community, right? Yeah. The community members can't get on those first responders systems, so how are they going to intercommunicate and interoperate? They're going to use amateur radio, or they're going to use CB, or they're going to use FRS. So I'm, I'm glad that Bob did what he did, for sure. I think that there was some political aspects of it that turned off people, and that's why they kind of turned their nose to the whole thing instead of objectively looking at the issue. 
And we have found out now, kind of in the rear view, that no, it was justified in, in being concerned about it. And what he did absolutely, I think, changed the policy that California was trying to push out. And I got to be specific when I say Cal Fire and most likely this one representative. Yeah. So it, it's not banned in California. We didn't lose any repeaters. We're not going to lose. So any they repeaters. recanted. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't so much put out a press bulletin, but they said the policies changed and they're not going to be going after repeater owners. Yeah, yeah. I saw that, and then a whole bunch of people who uh, had known more about it said it was a misunderstanding, and they had basically backtracked and said it wasn't going to be a thing. Uh, yeah. So the Cal Fire said, "Nope, we're not going to make the the amateurs have to pay this study fee. We're not going to kick them out." Yeah, because I mean th- that repeater had been there for I think over two decades. Yeah. So it had been in use for just a very long time. And so to just walk in and be like, "Well, policy's changed. Hey, you don't have a, a eight thousand dollar assessment done. We're kicking you out until you pay for it." It's like, well, on his we- land. No, no, no. It, it, so the, and just so everybody understands, the repeater room, right? This re- radio shack is on is on a mountain, and it's owned and operated by Cal Fire. Uh. So they do have an argument. It's like, hey, no free lunch. Get out of here. Uh, you can't you can't have your equipment in our shack. The problem is, is amateur radio is an FCC service. Yeah. So okay, you're going to kick out another government service. That's that, licensed, that's registered. Right. We're licensed, registered. We're a part of the, the service that is amateur radio for emergencies. If this was a, there is zero room in this shack and we need to take out the repeater from amateur radio to put in another first responder repeater, like it was actually getting in the way, that's one argument you could make. That wasn't the case here. It was... We want you to pay to have a study done because that's the new policy we have. Everything has to have a, a study done. Hmm. That was what happened, I think. Yeah. And so they just said, well, why? We're, we're amateur radio. We've been here forever. If you actually need us to move because physically the space needs have changed, that's one thing, but not just because you're trying to get more money. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's point people in the direction because it's crazy. I, I went through about 50 of those questions, and we answered m- most of them. Excellent. A couple we had to line out, and, and we will do this. We will line out. He, uh, Josh doesn't even know it yet, but I got a whiteboard waiting on him. Oh, Where we'll have him whiteboard the, uh, wave propagation and just kind of a general understanding in layman's term. Because okay. I think that's the biggest thing, and in, in, in what, that's what I like about your channel is you educate in layman's term in terms and make people understand. Thank you. And, I, and for for people who are listening to this, I recommend you going to Ham Radio Crash Course and starting at the very beginning and just going through every single video, which is what I did over a, a whole bunch of beer. Um, just, just turn it on. Let it play. Let just, it play. Let those ads run, baby. Just let them go. <laughs> it, it's super educational, and it's you have to do that, especially when starting from scratch. Like You don't have any context for understanding I, it. I put a playlist right at the top, and nice. I tried to curate it in a way that I thought would kind of introduce people to it. Yeah. And if you go in that playlist, feel free to jump around. You know, absolutely jump around to something you find interesting. But I try to put all the stuff for beginners in one location or people who may not be new to radio, but be, may be new to new aspects of it, like digital radio. You know, what, did, what do you know about that? Here's an introduction. I just did one on, uh, it's not ham radio related, but it's using a software to find radio receiver to pick up satellites passing overhead from NOAA actually picking up their RF and turning it into an image that you see 
that you pulled off the wow. air, right? It's just simple how-to using a you know twenty-five dollar Amazon USB dongle for receiving RF. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. What? What? So uh, break down all the channels for me for uh, from IG to YouTube. Yeah. So it should be ha- it should be ham radio crash course everywhere. But at the same time, my longtime internet handle is is Hoshnasi, which is Hotel Oscar Sierra Hotel Nevada Alpha Sierra India, and that's my Twitter name and my Instagram name. But it's Ham Radio Crash Course on Facebook, on YouTube, which is obviously my biggest thing. And there's links in Facebook to our Discord and our Facebook group. And that's really where I recommend people go. If you if you like Facebook, cool, go to Facebook. If you like Discord or you don't like Facebook, go check out Discord. And that'll get you kind of that real-time engagement if you have a question. Also, you can just email me. You can send me a message on Instagram. Again, I'm Hoshnasi on Instagram. And I mean, you've already posted, I think, some of the, the links to my channel. So yeah, just message me and and I'm happy to help people. I get emails constantly. On What's your email? It's Hoshnasi at gmail.com. Hoshnasi. I always messed it up. Yeah. You gotta be <laughs> Everybody Japanese does. to say that. Hoshnasi at gmail.com. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Any last thoughts? Uh, I'm just glad. I'm glad people are getting more into it. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that there is a preparedness-minded in groups of individuals that are, are thinking about doing this kind of on their own. As much as I like Aries, Racies, the AWRL, I like everything they're doing. I want people to think about the situations that they'd find themselves in and plan accordingly. You don't necessarily have to do things the way these groups want them done, but if at the same time they are doing it the way you want to do it, great. Um, that's great too. But we have such an amazing world of technology at our disposal that we can kind of solve whatever problem we want in our small communities, in our small groups. You said the word tribe. That's a good word for this. And there's solutions out there. Just think about it. Think about your goals and build it. Make it happen. And then go out and play radio. I've got the shirt on. It says, go play radio. Like, go do it. The, the biggest thing, I guess this should really be the takeaway point. If you bought a Baofeng, you threw in a Brie on it and what I call the Extendo uh, battery, and you just put it on a shelf or put it in a go bag and it's not programmed, or maybe you programmed it and you just put it away and you don't use it, that's like not shooting. That's like not practicing for first aid. It should be a part of something that you work out to stay competent in the area. So, you know, that could be summits on the air, like I mentioned earlier. Get outdoors with your stuff and, and go go practice with it or work a local net. Figure out where the local nets are on your local repeaters and get active. Just try it out and see if it see what you think. Josh, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, Josh, from Ham Radio Crash Course. You got it. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thanks, brother.